This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Jeffrey uh, Liam Simpson, sick today. Cole sitting in, guarding the board, Mm. taking care of it. Uh, you know, and somebody needs to take care of Jeff. I think he ought to run over there maybe, Terry. What? During the break and check in on him. Make sure he's got enough fluids. Fluids. Is that the solution? <laughs> so Grandma said. All right. And keep socks on. You got to yes. wear socks because socks make it so you don't catch a cold. Maybe a stocking cap? <laughs> yeah. In, rub- Bo- in Boy Scouts, you learn that you lose all the heat through your through head. Through your head. Yeah. You probably ought to rub some Vicks on your chest. Yeah, vapor rub. It's good stuff. A little vapor rub. And you then- smell horrible, but yeah. it's fine. Yeah, but it's not about how you smell. It's no. about how you feel. You can put it on your feet. It works for babies. That's right. And then put- wow. See? This is the information you don't get on any other show. <laughs> how to stay healthy and wealthy uh, and wise. Ooh. Oh, yeah. That was the stretch part of the uh, advertisement there. Today, by the way, we are celebrating National Joe Day. Yes. Which is perfect because Joe Cannon will be on the show. It's Joe. Joe in the know will be joining us. We'll be talking all things political. Really, we're, we're going to find out what happens to a presidency after they get, you know, the crud beat out of them yeah. by Congress. That well, thing, they, well, didn't, they weren't able to pass their bill. 30 members of Congress. Yeah. There are 30 people who are telling the president no. And now he's like, I'm going to work with the Democrats. Maybe. Which, you know, many were wondering if he would do anyway. Yeah. Which wouldn't be, I mean, honestly, probably wouldn't hurt. Right? It's It, it would be a really interesting thing to take something like Obamacare and make it a two-party concept. Except the leader of those Democrats in the Senate, he... Accused of faking tears. And oh yeah, the fakers. Yeah, but acting like he was crying. Yeah, but now they're different. Now it's different. Now they're now they're wonderful. <laughs> that was last week. Yeah. Then see that a lot changes in one week. Okay, great. So much to talk about. Joe in the know will be joining us, and he's going to enlighten us about what happens. You know, after this, the healthcare meltdown. Mm. Can you get? Can can you regroup? And because now they've got to like pass a budget. Yeah. This is going to be – this is tough. It's And you're dealing with people who want to uh, reduce the budget as max as possible. Mm-hmm. Take all – as money, much money away as you can because they're fiscal conservatives. But what's the cost if you are a member of the Freedom Caucus and now the president really doesn't like you? Maybe there's – now there's a political cost you got to pay. Yeah. Does he, does he go after him? I don't know. I bet. Do you, I mean he threatened – he didn't say it, but he threatened, like, well, we will primary you. We, we, will, we, will. we will support somebody else to take your seat. Uh, well, he, I heard him say, hey, we got to call Russia to find out what to do here. Hold on. I'm calling <laughs> Vlad. So now he's going to check with Vlad, and then we'll get back to you on that one. Crazy stuff. National Allegedly. Joe Day. Yeah, Allegedly. we'll find out. Joe Cannon will be joining us, talking uh, all things political. Also, um, you know. Just giving you the empty news, the Matt Townsend news, some of the news you might not even need to know or you think you don't need to know. But then when we give you our little spin, you'll be like, oh, that thing's brilliant. I needed to know that. Right. It's really what we add to the story that makes it worthwhile. And we'll be talking about Jeff Simpson, who's not here today. Which is 
why it's you know you take a day. We, we encourage you to take, take a day if you're sick. You take that day. But things will happen while you're gone. That's right. And we cannot, you know, uh, we may release information about your sickness. Wild speculation as yeah. to if you are sick or mm-hmm. is this just the extension of the birthday? True. Birthday gone weekend, gone Monday. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jeffrey. Big mistake. Wild weekend. Not showing up today. Has to recover on Monday. Just, <laughs> just a thought. All that fun ahead, folks. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? President Donald Trump on Sunday lashed out at conservatives who oppose the American Health Care Act and the GOP replacement plan for Obamacare, which was pulled from the House floor Friday, accusing them of saving the Affordable Care Act and Planned Parenthood. Democrats are smiling in D.C. that the Freedom Caucus will, with the help of Club for Growth and Heritage of Safe Planned Parenthood and Obamacare, Trump tweeted, referring to the group's hardline House conservatives who oppose the AHCA. Trump on Friday said that he had never pushed for a repeal and replace during the election. And I never said, I guess I'm here, what, 64 days? I never said repeal and replace Obamacare. You've all heard my speeches. I never said repeal it and replace it within 64 days. What? A long time. On my first day, I'm going to ask Congress to immediately send me a bill to repeal and replace Obamacare. Immediately repealing Imme- immediately. and replacing not, not within the 64 disaster days. known as Obamacare. Immediately repealing and replacing Obamacare. We will be able to immediately repeal and replace Obamacare. So, yeah. yeah. That, that Apparently he did CNN. say it a few times. said it a couple times. So the White House moving forward, focus on the Supreme Court confirmation of Judge No Gorsuch between now and the Easter congressional break. After that, work urgently on funding the government 35 days until the debt ceilings reach. So they got to figure that out. If you remember, they uh, were dealing with this before the election, but decided it'd be best just to do a continuing um, uh amendment or whatever they call right. it just kind of kick it down the road a little yeah. bit because we're running we're, you know there's a presidential there's election stuff going on right now we'll deal with this just afterwards kick that thing down there um so that's on the schedule and begin the conversation about tax reform a senior republican operative said the hardline house freedom caucus just proved that you have 30 guys controlling the government in their view we got rid of speaker boehner <laughs> we're, we're taking a, we're taking on another speaker head on yeah yeah and we just stare down the president what well, do they have to lose? You well, know? this is a different kind of president. Well, this is one that will. He seemed to have blinked last time. He'll expose, though, right? He'll like he'll he'll expose who you are and what yeah. you're saying and what you're doing. This is a this is a different president. We'll see. Huh. Little conflict coming up. Yeah. President Trump's son-in-law Jared Kushner Kushner is reportedly being lined up to lead his own White House office meant to reform the federal government via business solutions typically used in the private sector. Kushner is said to be leading a the Office of American Innovation. Wow. Government should run like an American company. The bureau will allegedly come up with ideas to help the government become lean and more effective. Yeah. Yeah. So but- but now, I mean, many are also laughing that the president ran this bill, the yes. health care bill, like a company would supposedly run something and right. didn't really understand the politics of it all. There's The government also has to run – people have votes. Right. And I, there's different – you know. It's an approach. See what happens. It's, it's an approach. In, yeah. in the Washington Post, a statement, they promise – I promise the American people I will produce results and apply my ahead of schedule under budget mentality to the government. In other news, 
Jared Kushner, the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, says they will be questioning the president's son-in-law on his contacts with Russian officials and part of the ongoing investigation into the interference by Russia into the 2016 presidential election. Right. I mean, not, not interference, just... No, that's... They were just friends. Interference. Just talked. Yeah, it's a consulting gig. It's a, it's a gig. Yeah. A crash in Tempe, Arizona on, on Saturday has led to ride-sharing company Uber to suspend Ooh. its self-driving car program. No one was seriously hurt in the incident, but the self-driving Volvo was t- flipped on its side after another vehicle failed to yield appropriately at a left turn. There was a person behind the wheel of the Volvo at the time of the crash, said the uh, Uber representative, and it's uncertain at this time if they were controlling the vehicle at the time of the collision. Before the crash, Uber self-driving cars were being tested in Arizona, Pittsburgh, and San Francisco. So but there, not anymore. So it's a self-driving car. There was someone in the car, the driver's seat. I read two people in the car. In the driver's seat? Well, uh, one in the yeah. driver, one in the passenger, and, and they're just kind of observing. But then they immediately suspended all... The whole program. Which is interesting because... I don't know. I guess that's what you do. Or do they have other information? Well, I've heard some other reports just kind of in general. The whole program isn't as efficient as it should be. Yeah. They may have one incident a day where something like I like Google when their their self-driving program was uh, they'd go weeks without a problem. Yeah. You know, and so it was just they need to fix whatever their problem is. Well, except the other thing is, is the Uber car that drives on its own also reports its problems. The other Uber drivers don't. No. They don't report that they just, you know, knocked someone off their bike. Right. They just did. Didn't report that. Nobody knows they're Uber. Part of every day. Um, Other driving news. This one may be of interest. Drivers who hog the left lane could soon face fines up to $250 in Maryland under a bill designed to ease bottlenecks and reduce road rage by making it easier for motorists to get around slower vehicles. The bill, which is past the House and is pending on the Senate, or in the Senate, would put Maryland among a growing number of states, cracking down on drivers who seem to defy basic lessons of high school drivers' education, use the left lane to pass, and then move back to the right. Virginia lawmakers recently added a new mandatory minimum fine to their longstanding law requiring motorists to move right after passing. Mm. The push comes after many states have increased their highway speed limits, and lawmakers say their time-starved constituents are pleading for ways to make traffic more faster. You know, that right there would probably make America great again. Would it? Just get out of the fast lane? Get all the slow pokes out of the left lane. Yeah. Making America great. <laughs> they got to use that phrase. Like, that's a good phrase. Don't you Ma- think? Maybe good on a hat. Yeah. Put it on a, like a hat, like a red hat. Yeah. See, you have all the ideas. I'm telling you. It's all right here. It's a steel trap. Hey, um, boy, Jared Kushner, hmm. it's weird. He got kind of a new job. Right after, apparently, President Trump was angry that that Kushner and his family were all skiing in Vail yes. while the health care bill was in trouble. Which I thought was an odd thing to point out. I mean, what would, yeah. would Kushner be in there pushing? Oh, yeah. Just more hands on the well, all hands be, on deck? Well, he'd be another, thing. you know, yeah, one of, another person in there making noise. Right. And where was Ivanka, for crying out loud? Well, she was in Vail. Vail. She was skiing. Yeah. With her Hello? kids. Do you guys not realize that dad's in trouble? Hmm. Dad's drowning in the health care bill. But I thought, I, I thought he was the closer, the, the, the best negotiator ever. Yeah. Yeah, they learned a lot on this one, I hope. And they had Reince Priebus, Steve Bannon. Oh, boy. Can you imagine the conversations? <laughs> Already, and, yeah. Because now everyone's like, yeah, fire Paul Ryan. Yeah. I mean, maybe they don't know how that works. 
And, it, and it's, the blame's actually shifting back to Reince Priebus. Yeah, now it's Reince's fault because Reince should have known better. He was supposed to shepherd this thing and it didn't work. And Reince is the one dropping the idea that maybe we ought to work more with Democrats, huh? which is a great idea. Right. But they blamed him. The, the first thing Trump said was, hey, we didn't have any Democrats Reince? vote for this. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah, it was interesting. They don't, I don't think they know who to blame yet. Well, not them. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's, cause it's, it's, well, it's pretty really, easy who I mean, not to blame, but well, who to blame. How much of this can you blame on the president, right? I mean, no. this isn't even his his bill. Right. He championed it, but it's fine. He never said he'd repeal and replace. <laughs> he said it like five times in that clip I played. Yeah. But he, he, meant, he didn't mean within 65 days. Oh, right. Yeah, he said he, immediately. So in other yeah. words, he didn't now, that would be, follow I mean, through, in, right? In Washington ease, that's like a year. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, I'm pretty See, sure. They Bless need, Joe, they need but, to publish these. Yeah. A little translation so that us common folk can figure this out better. Immediately means that, was that within, Ameri- a year, remember, within a year. Remember American Ease from last week? Yeah, yeah. It's like that. Uh-huh. Is it American Ease? Mm-hmm. Or there's some this fragment of society ease. that knows what this means? Yeah. Okay. If somebody wants something now in Washington, it means get it to me in a month. All right. But immediately means you got a year. So has Trump made that transition? Because in business, he probably meant immediately meaning now, not in a month. Yeah. So has he made that transition? Yeah. In his own personal communication, well, I guess? Yeah. He has. He's, okay. Yeah, he has. <laughs> it's just, it takes a while. It's lost in translation. It is. I, I spent the, the the weekend kind of torn between following the fallout from this healthcare thing, just because it was just interesting in that the party itself stopped the bill. Yeah. It wasn't like the the opposition party stepped in to stop it. No. So I was focused on that, and then the new Justice League trailer came out on Saturday. Oh, boy. And I think I've watched it six times. You're going to go there? I'm six of the 14 million views on this video already. Why? I read an exhaustive, like, 25-page breakdown of this two-and-a-half-minute trailer. Why? Because there's just so much in it. So much in it for who? Me. Hmm. I don't know so, what it is, but it doesn't even interest me. I was like, I was really just just enveloped in both of those topics at the same time. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So that, that, yeah. that that's where I spent the week. Well. Wow. Um, <laughs> I I watched some basketball. Okay. How was that? It was really good. Yeah. Final four set. You got Oregon, Gonzaga, Oregon. North Carolina, and South Carolina. Yeah. Now, did, I guess South Carolina didn't get the memo that they're not supposed to do. They weren't upset invited. People. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, who are you? Yeah. You're supposed to, yeah. They were like, not invited. Are they a seven seed? Yeah, they were. Yeah. Wow. Seven seed uh, in the East region. Holy cow. But they beat Marquette, Duke, Baylor, and North, and uh, number four, Florida. Yeah. Man, alive. They're in. Oregon. Oregon's going to play what? Gonzaga? Is that the matchup? The, is that the Northwest matchup? No, because it's supposed to be a... Uh... North Carolina – it could be a North Carolina-South Carolina final. Oh, that would be crazy. At least that's, that's what I read. I don't know what the bra- – yeah. I haven't looked at the bracket to see what the matchups are. Actually. Oregon Ducks are in. So we got South Carolina-Gonzaga and North Carolina-UNC. Huh. So it could be a it could be an all-Pacific uh, Northwest final How or an all-Carolina final. How neat would that be? And it's the South versus the North in the Carolinas. So you know that's going to be a border war. Now, what else is cool, not to brag, but BYU beat Gonzaga. Well, yeah. 
BYU beat a Final Four team. Sure. Then they went out and lost to some not Final Four teams. Well, I know, but we don't talk about that. Oh, okay. That's not what you focus on. <laughs> you always focus on the positive, which is yeah. they, could, they could very well be have beaten the number one champion. It was great. You caught them on an off day, apparently. <laughs> so, you know, you make it sound like it wasn't meant to be. Well, you know, they, they, were, they missed a ton of free throws, a ton of three-point shots. Yeah. They played horrible. No, it's but that's fine. That. It's fine. It's BYU still won on that day. They just hustled them out, just took them over, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a sportscaster, but it seems obvious. And you wanted to talk about the Freedom League? No, Justice League. Just Freedom Caucus? No, it's the Justice League. The Justice Caucus. And the real intriguing part is yeah. that Superman... Oh, is boy. nowhere to be found. Yeah, you know why? He's in a coffin. He died. Because he's not real. But he's, he's going to come back. Right at the end, he's going to go boom and then take <sighs> over. It's going to be great. Are you done? Really, no, I'm, I haven't even touched most of what I like inflicted my wife with for a good portion of the weekend. But yeah, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, let's leave it at that. Your poor wife. <laughs> She's no. looking at me like... Why are you explaining to me what a mother box is? And I go, oh, no, there's three of them. There's and not just, just one mother box. There's yeah. three mother boxes. I just kept going. It's on because there's so much so involved. And I think that's why the movie will fail. Oh, yeah. It's uh, just that too, and other reasons. It's too in-depth. Yeah. It's, too, it's just for a special follower. It's for special people that love to follow all the details like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> okay. Anyway, Jeff's really lucky today. Jeff's got us. Jeff, Jeff's sick. He's out. So instead, I have to defend the justice, whatever we're calling it, league. Hey, um, let's take a break. When we come back, Joe in the know will be joining us. We're talking politics and uh, the impact of the health care bill fiasco back in Washington. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, it's Monday, which means let's talk politics for a bit. And uh, who better to help us with that than Joe Cannon. Joe in the know, we call him. He's the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is an organization trying to lower your fuel costs here in the United States. Also, Joe has a has a history in politics, was a past chairman of the Utah Republican Party and was a candidate for U.S. Senate back in the day. Also ran a, a, a newspaper here in the West, Deseret News, which is a large newspaper. And uh, we like to have Joe on the show just to pick his brain. Plus, today we're celebrating National Joe Day, which uh, is a celebration of everybody named Joe. Joe, welcome to the show, my friend, and happy <laughs> National Joe Day. Is that really true? I've it's never true. Heard such a thing. <laughs> it totally is. All day, your friends, any Joe, Joette, Joey, Josephs, Josephines, Joanna, Joanne, or Joni, uh, they're all any Joe. Today we celebrate okay. <laughs> them, so why not? Hey Joe, what do you think? Um, what's what do you think is going to be the real damage to uh, this new administration for not passing the Obamacare replacement? Well, I mean, it's uh, obviously I don't know all the whole answer to that question, but it's clear that um, somebody miscalculated somewhere along the line, uh, just politically, just politically speaking, without. You know, it just kind of gets down basically to vote counting and GOP president, Republican president, a Republican House with, you know, under Speaker Ryan couldn't put a bill together that would get enough uh, Republican votes. Mm. And uh, that that's given that that was one of the premier uh, items on the to do list of, of Republicans in general, you know, not just President Trump. 
it's it's a it's a big embarrassment. It's 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 actually just a political embarrassment. Is it? Uh, what's the is because for years, what seven no four years or whatever it was five six years. They've the Republicans got to be known really as the opposition party. I guess really for eight years of President Obama. Um, is it is it really that big of a difference between being the governing party and being just the opposition party? It seemed like they couldn't get their act together enough to get something done. Well, I forget various numbers, but they voted uh, numerous numerous times to abolish Obamacare when they knew the president. Obama would just veto it. So, you know, it was clear that they were the party in opposition. I, I think this is a little, I, I, I guess I don't go all the way to that, that this is just simply the party of no and can't get anything done, although there are some challenges. But I'll come back to the tax thing in a second. But, but um, you know, the, the replacing Obamacare was really, really hard. And you had what you had was basically at 30 hardcore uh, opponents to this, the so-called House Freedom Caucus, and they just said no, and they were very, very powerful. And when you had, <clears throat> they also had a group of Democrats, I mean, sorry, Republic, other Republicans, more moderate Republicans, who uh, also said no because they are vulnerable. You've got 23 uh, Republican congressmen who are in districts that were won by Hillary Clinton, mm. and you got a, and you got another ten who are on districts where she barely lost. So that's you know th- they were very worried about you know a, a pure conservative uh, healthcare plan that would weaken them in their districts in their upcoming um, mm. uh, elections. So so that was their motivation. Now, the, the truth is, I think the Republicans could afford to lose all 23 of those seats and they'd still be in the majority. But that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't change the calculation for the individual member who wants to get reelected. Right. Right. So you see, so you, you had kind of in healthcare itself, a, a, a confluence of events where the moderates just were a, a little bit too nervous and there was no deal to be made with the Freedom Caucus. I think one thing that's illuminated here. It's interesting is this the the freedom normally there's a lot of horse trading and at the very end and that uh, that was attempted here at the very end okay okay what do you really need to to vote we'll, we'll give you x you know we'll 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 make we'll add this amendment that will help you uh Mr. Freedom Caucus member well it turns out that they they were not in a negotiating mood they just said we don't like this bill it doesn't go far enough for us and we're going to oppose it. Hmm. This, so, would, it, would it have been better to push it to a vote so that everybody had to have their name on their vote? I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I will say I have a very high regard for for uh, uh, Speaker Ryan, and I think he just felt like, you know, that wouldn't – if you go to, to go to an actual vote and actually lose – would be a little bit more of a sting than to not have the voted as voted all. Yeah, uh, I, it might have been better to, and a lot of people are saying this. It's Monday, Monday, Monday quarterbacking, but um, might have just been better to go after tax reform first 
there's a, a lot more consensus on tax reform. There are only a few real sticking points, uh, you know, ideological sticking points. But now it might have been better. There's a, a more likelihood that they could have gotten through. But again, the, the devil's in the details. Yeah. Part part of the uh, uh, Republican health care plan would have reduced government spending by about a trillion dollars over 10 years. And that that's going to turn out to be an important fact in, the, in tax reform, because now uh, these folks who all opposed Obamacare are going to have a post repeal or, you know, modifying Obamacare. And they're going to have to come up with another trillion dollars when it comes to figuring out what to do on tax reform. Oh. So, so it's it's uh, it's all pretty complicated. Oh yeah. Does um, how, what do you think this does with the relationship between President Trump and Paul Ryan? Many are you know you hear different stories that he's really mad at Paul Ryan, and also you hear stories that no, I mean they he gets it, he gets what's happening here, and they're closer than they've been. I'm kind of in the the latter camp, although of course I don't actually know, but I think. Um, Paul Ryan is basically falling on his sword. <clears throat> Excuse me, falling on his sword for uh, President Trump, and I think uh, the president probably really appreciates that. The kind of the interesting question is though: these people who opposed the Freedom Caucus in particular, these thirty or so conservative uh, House members, they are all in districts that Trump won. I mean, these basically are Trump. They represent Trump voters, yeah. by and large. And so it's, I think, and, you know, it's funny. It's not funny, but you haven't, you've heard, of course, the president has responded pretty negatively, but he hasn't actually outright assaulted, you know, gone on his, what, what could have been a, a real Trump assault on the Freedom Caucus. Right, right. Because uh, he's, he's got to figure out how to work with them. And they, they are his guys, by and large. His, his, uh, they represent his constituents. Yeah. Is, I mean, wh- where do you go with that? He, he said so many things like, well, great, let's just, let, we're just going to let the Democrats, you know, still own it. And we're going to, you know, let it collapse because it's already collapsing. So that was kind of one take. Another take is now he's going to work with the Democrats and which almost seemed like some, you know, threat to the Republicans that aren't going to get in line or kind of the subtle, you know, you're not going to have our backing. When you need to go for re-election, are are his tactics working? These some of them are threats, some of them are just giving up on it, letting it fail, pulling back. I mean, is he doing all he can do? I guess. Well, I I, I do think as kind of the Uber lesson here is the founders are geniuses. They have three branches of government, and even when two of those branches are governed by their, you know, sort of owned by the same party, uh, they're different branches. And I think, uh, so I think one of the things that happened is President Trump got a, got a lesson in basic constitutional theory that there's a legislative branch and they have, they march to their own uh, drummer. They have their own uh, imperatives that, that drive them, both, both political and also uh, philosophical. So I think he's probably reevaluating. Okay, I've got to got to come back here with with something. He he can work with Democrats, but uh, just recall the discipline of the Republicans on this very issue. 
Obamacare got not one Republican vote. And right. Seeing the Democrats are going to play kind of the same game. Look, if you want to fix this, quote, close quote, uh, you're going to have to do it within your own party, Mr. President. Mm. Plus, I don't think there are probably not a lot of moderate to conservative. In other words, I don't know where he would go on Obamacare to get Democrat votes. Yeah. That wouldn't, that wouldn't alienate even more Republicans. But there are some states where they're down to one payer, one or you know, one company doing the insuring, and where um, the the whatchamacallits are going to go up to go up like sixty five percent for the healthcare. Um, so I, I oh, wonder. No, it's it's, no, it's it seems problem, like it, it's yeah. yeah, it's getting all of a sudden. You know, there's going to be a lot of people complaining in the in the states and. I mean, do you think do you think it's still in the hands of the Democrats as far as you broke it? It's yours. Or is it now that everything's GOP? Is it now the GOP's problem? Yeah, I think I think uh, it's going to be really hard to make that stick that. Oh, OK. It's really the Democrats fault. Um, I, I'm sorry that I forgot. But in one of the stories I read about this, they're calling it the uh, they're calling this vote. Uh, the Obamacare Preservation Act. <laughs> that that for what no matter what the conservatives say, the fact is they the consequence of what they did is to keep Obamacare in place. Yeah, yeah. And and so I, I think if there are problems with Obamacare going forward, uh, it's going to be hard for the Republicans to place all that blame on the Democrats. They had a chance. To quote, fix it, close quote, and uh, mm. and they didn't. Boy, oh boy, this gets this makes that midterm uh, election seem really interesting. Uh, let's take a break, Joe. When we come back, continue the discussion, figure out more the impact of uh, what what's the agenda going forward, and uh, what else are we learning from President Trump? Also, want to find out about uh, should we run government like a business? We keep hearing President Trump talk about that, but. You know, maybe business isn't, maybe we got to have another metaphor. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, so much going on in D.C. Every Monday, we like to check in after we we get to watch all of the you know talking head shows uh, over the weekend. We asked Joe Cannon to join us. Joe is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation and uh, has a lot of uh, political background. As we call him, Joe in the know, simply because he knows a lot of people, not because he knows everything, but it is National Joe Day, so. We'll act like he does. Joe, welcome back to the show, my friend. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. I mean, I don't know that I've ever had a National Matt Day. So apparently you must be special, Joe. You've got your well, own day. <laughs> Who would have thought that up? That's <laughs> Who'd have thunk okay. it? So what do you think? Um, one thing, I don't know if you heard, uh, Jared Kushner, the, the president's um, son-in-law, has now been asked to kind of take over in uh, this initiative of making America's government run like a business. And, I mean, it seems like a good idea, you know, to stop the waste and to have better, you know, less duplicacies in the systems. And 
but and redundancies. But is it is it possible to actually take the federal government and and make it run like a business? Well, you know, it's a perennial discussion point in in Washington. The, the answer is no. The, the, you you can't make the government run like a business, and my my own view is you probably don't want to. Right. Uh, the uh, you know he- heaven forbid an efficient a government that's more efficient than it already is in terms of its uh, ability to you know. Uh, have a have a bad effect on individual liberty. But having said that, it is crazy that you drive into Washington and you see these massive buildings with tens of thousands of I don't want to just say bureaucrats. I mean they're they're good, mostly uh, hardworking folks. But what do they do? Every business in America and the world for that matter, but in America has figured out how to do more with less. Right. Uh, governments have cut and cut and cut. They figure out, uh, uh, you know, how to how to do things. They have to figure out how to. In the olden days, the word was automate, but now there's a, there you know there's all kinds of information technology digitized. Yeah, right. So so the answer is there are some things that businesses do that government ought to do, and and we shouldn't fear somebody going in and wondering why. There are a flock of bureaucrats in the Department of Agriculture to figure out how much wheat subsidies are or <laughs> corn or whatever. I mean, I'm making that up, but there, there literally are buildings full of people that would never exist if a government, if a, if a private entity were running it. Now, we have a constitution, we have laws, we have protections, and there are all, all kinds of things that matter when it comes to uh, government work, but they don't optimize around efficiency. Mm. Uh, and there are many, and there are many perverse incentives. I mean, um, you have to spend your budget allotment, even if you don't need it, but you have to spend it because if you don't spend it, you're, you're allocated X and you spend X minus, well, then the next budget go around, how are you going to argue for a bigger budget? So there's this huge incentive to spend all the money you have. Whereas in the private side of things, there's a huge incentive to save all the money that you can to optimize around right. ways to get more efficient production, better better uh, uh, customer service. You know, all, all these things that, that there's no actual incentive in the government to do. And in fact, there are disincentives. Yeah, I mean that's why uh, you just wonder. You wonder how much can really be done. You hope. I mean, you'd hope you could make it more efficient, but. Yeah, I think you're right. There's got to be some type of incentive going on there. Hey, switching to uh, Russia a little bit, uh, you know, what did you think of the whole Devin Nunez thing um, with when, you know, here he is sitting on the the Intelligence Committee for the Congress and uh, he finds out some information, immediately speaks to the speaker, to the press, runs to the White House um, it's information that may, you know, corroborate a little bit of, of what President Trump has been complaining about with uh, with some type of surveillance. What do you think about th- this week? I mean, what would you expect us to be seeing happening this week with with the whole Russian investigation and the fallout from uh, Devin Nunez? 
Well, I, I was very perplexed. Like I think almost every, everybody was. Why, why would the chairman of the committee, although he had deep Trump ties, he was on the Trump transition team. So it, uh, it looks bad from, from every angle. But even just, again, going back to the, the Constitution and three branches of government and what this guy's duty is in general, and then what is his duty to the individual members of the committee, both Republican and Democrat? I mean, I, I, it was really, to me, it was bizarre mm. for the chairman of a committee to finding out some pieces of information, zipping down to the White House, talking about holding a press conference uh, without even talking to his colleagues. And it just, it just smacks to me of more ready fire aim yeah. uh, problem here. You, you know, let's, why not, why not if you're Mr. Nunez sit down with your colleagues, Democrat, Republican on this particular committee generally runs a little bit more bipartisanly and, and, and sit down and talk about it. Wow, look what I've discovered. Look, I just got this in, intel. Share it with your colleagues and then figure out what to do with it. Maybe it sparks a more investigation. Maybe it sparks a closed-door session. I, I, who knows what it, what it could have done. But the least obvious thing is for one person, although the chair, for one person to jump up and run down the yeah. street to the White House and and talk about it. It was just weird. It was just like, why, why are you doing that? Well, and you could have done it inconspicuously by making a call, right? You just well, could you know, have yeah, yeah, called. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, I'm not saying that. Yeah, it mean, it's weird. I mean, it was, yeah, I agree, though. It was but strange. To, to do it in a some super public way. Yeah. Like, we're just going to do this in the most uh, bizarre way we could think about. Right. Uh, <laughs> Oh, it's interesting. Yeah, I, Do you think the Russia thing's going to go anywhere? I mean, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. Now they're going to bring in Manafort, and a bunch of the people are willing to come in and, and testify before Congress. Uh, is this going anywhere? I, I know, the whole, the whole, it just seems like a big briar patch. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know what's going to come of it. I, I don't think that Putin has secret allies. Yeah. Uh, in the government, if you look at the, the people the president's actually appointed to jobs that relate to foreign policy, you find people are pretty much hardliners. They recognize that Russia is our enemy. Right. Um, I think we're giving a lot of credit to Putin for, you know, uh, just, just think, imagine the conversation that we would have in late October. Wow, we know the Russians know that Trump is going to win. They want him to win, right. and they're doing all this to get him to win. Well, I don't really, almost no one knew or even thought no. that Donald J. Trump was going to be president. Not so, especially the Russians, right? I mean, yeah, we're imputing to to the Russians powers way beyond what could be could be true. I mean, it's it's a it's a weak country and it's a pro- problematic country because it wants it it, it is our enemy. And it, it wants to regain its former glory, but but given their economy, given their military, it's hard to see how that happens. So they can play in areas that would be very negative to us, like the Middle East. But um, to attribute to them this knowledge that they, they were, A, that Trump could win, and B, that their lives would be better in a Trump administration than a Hillary administration, is assuming an awful lot of genius on the Russians' mm. part. Yeah. How do you uh, how do you feel about what's going on with uh, nominee Gorsuch? Do you feel I mean, he seems to be weathering it well. He handles he's handling the questions well. 
and now the Democrats are threatening, you know, to 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 stop it. So, well, to do what they can to uh, to stop it. So, do you think this is going to go to the nuclear option? I don't know. There, there's a there's a step before the nuclear option that could work. Right. But just in, in general, just commenting on the overall procedure. I, I watched a, a chunk of the hearings, and I thought that uh, Judge Gorsuch honestly did a fabulous job. I thought that what it looked like to me. Now I will be admit I'm pretty partisan on this issue. I I love the Gorsuch nom, nomination, and. There are lots of folks that I really, really like on that list uh, that President Trump, the candidate Trump, put together. So, but I, I, it's so hard to think that that there could be, from a Republican perspective, a better nominee. And I think the Democrats kind of know that. If you watch them, they basically were reading from their notes that uh-huh. were prepared. They didn't even pronounce some of the words right. They're just reading from notes that were prepared, kind of almost in this monotone. And so he answers. They know what his answer is going to be, and they barely gets the words out, and they start asking the next question. It's, it's like you often hear people say, well, for the record, and, and, and I think a lot of what the Democrats are doing is for the record. So uh, I, they, I don't think they laid a glove on him. The only thing you can say is he's not ideologically in their minds like they are, hmm. and they want ideological judges. So if they want the whole idea of elections have consequences is played out as starkly as it possibly could be in the area of uh, judicial nomination. So that's what I thought the hearing was a complete victory for uh, Judge Gorsuch. Gorsuch. Now, whether they exercise the nuclear option, I I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, Minority Leader Speaker said, or Minority Leader uh, Schumer said, we're going to make him come up with 60 votes, yeah. which means uh, basically it's a filibuster. And um, that's going to put a bunch of his members in a very hard way because, you know, we t- talked in the last segment, you know, that there are 23 Republican House members in, in, in districts that Clinton won. You know, there are at least 10 uh, senators in states that Trump won. And, you know, by by pushing on this vote on a, on a judge that most Americans are going to like a lot, um, I don't know. I, I, yeah. I, I don't understand the politics of it. On the, on the other hand, if you believe that ultimately the nuclear option is going to be exercised, why not fight now? Yeah, why yeah, why just, just do it not, now. Why not force it to happen now? Right. Well, yeah. And, I mean, it, that's, it seems like that could be the inevitable uh, reality. Well, we appreciate well, one it. Way or, one way or the other, Neil Gorsuch is going to be sitting on the Supreme Court. I, I'm as confident of that as anything right now. Yeah, he's in. Uh, good stuff. Joe, thanks for your time, my friend, and uh, keep up the good work. We'll we'll connect again next week. Okay, doke. Hey, thanks. Thank you. Joe Cannon's his name. Go check out his website, Fuel Freedom Foundation. Fuelfreedom.org is the name of the website. Fuelfreedom.org. Joe's trying to do what he can to lower your fuel costs here in the United States, which, man, nice having somebody working for you. We'll take a break, come back, and uh, discuss, do a little McKenna Bouse, Bouse in the house. She's going to do a little mind bender. Is there a way to help the homeless just using a nap? Stick with us. Well. 
welcome to her house She is looking about She is here to break down Things you didn't know Welcome back, friends. McKenna Bouse. Bouse in the house. McKenna is our mind bender, we call her. She likes to bring us ideas that make us think. And uh, today she's talking about an app that may be able to help homeless people. Yeah, it's really cool. It's right now limited to one city. But I'm really hoping that it spreads to more places because I'm really excited about this. Is this this. an app for non-homeless people to help homeless people? Yes. It's for... You know, people who are financially established. Yeah. Um, so in Philadelphia, there's this app called Street Change. And you can download it anywhere and you can sort of see what it's about, but it only works right now in Philadelphia. What happens is they've gone and paired a bunch of homeless people up in the city, up with caseworkers, and they give them a little Bluetooth homing beacon. And what happens is these homeless people then work with their caseworkers to Mm. create a list of like 10 to 15 items that they might need, whether it's toothpaste or bus vouchers, things that just will help them sort of get on their feet. Yeah, socks, really simple stuff. And then they also come up with – they identify long-term housing goals and steps to reach those. And then what happens is when you're out and about, if you have this app, if you get within a certain range – of one of the people who has these homing beacons, one of these homeless people, it pings your phone and it pulls them up and you see a picture of them and you oh, see wow. a bio and you see the oh, things that's cool. that they've said are their needs. Yeah. And then you can donate to a wish list. Oh, that's a great idea. Say, oh, I want to donate to helping them get, you know, socks or to getting a new coat. Yeah. And then once enough people have donated, they're able to go to their caseworker yeah. and pick up those items. So you can feel like you're really helping these people with things that they really need. And you know a little backstory and you yeah. have a feeling that this is – the money's going to go to a better place. Exactly. You know what your money is being used for. So How great. Comforts. You yeah. know, people who want to help but yeah. really aren't comfortable no, maybe totally. doing that. I, I just had a guy come up to me at a gas station mm-hmm. not wearing shoes right across from a, a park where a lot of them end up having to sleep at night. Mm-hmm. And he – but I don't have I don't I don't carry change anymore. Well, that's my problem too. So is I never like, have money. I don't know what to do. Do you take Apple Pay? Yeah. So, but now in a weird way, they take they, Apple they do. Pay. Yeah, and it's really nice because it's great. It comforts you know the people who are donating, but it also humanizes you know these homeless yeah. individuals because you see their story. Uh-huh. You know, you get to see their picture, and you realize they're more than their circumstance. That's so neat. Well, and the, the, a lot of the research they're doing in Utah where they're having a lot of success getting homeless people off the street and into a system is you need a caseworker. Mm-hmm. You need a plan to get them to some home, to yeah. some structured living. And so that's what a lot of this is because what happens is, you know, they have somebody who's helping them work towards that and helping them also create these wish lists in a way that says, okay, you know, here, I need haircuts. So yeah. like help me put, let's put a haircut on here. Yeah. And that way they can get a haircut and are able to do better in job interviews because they're able to come in looking more presentable. So big. Don't you think a lot, I mean, a lot of, I mean, I guess if you live in a city where this is, there's a lot of homeless people, boy, you could be all of a sudden walking down the street and having your phone ping all the time. Yeah. But if, if I knew it was going to a place and it was stepping toward their progress and 
then all of a sudden you're like, I could let me get you haircuts or even let me choose on the list what I'd want to give you. Exactly. How cool is that? And so I think technology, that's great. It's really good. It's a way of just bringing, I think, these two very separated communities yeah. together in a meaningful way. This is uh, in Philadelphia. What's the name of the app? Street Change. Street Change. And if that's you're not great. in Philadelphia, you can still download it. You can still see the bios yeah. and, you know, sort of figure out what it's about and. You know, hopefully more cities start picking it up because um, it'll do a lot of good. Bouse in the house is her name. Man, McKenna, thanks. That's that's just cool. What about the day that you can get such information on everybody? Huh? Oh, OK. Well, that's kind of scary. That's not scary. I mean, if, if it can already happen with homeless people. But man, nice thing. This is neat. all voluntary. That's great. I love it. I love it. Well done, McKenna. We um, let's take a break. We'll come back. Continue uh, the show. Folks, we're here to help you live healthier, happier, longer lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side, because none of us were born with an owner's manual. This is the show where we give you the latest, greatest research that helps you understand what's going on in life. Today, no exception, Cole is sitting in for Jeff uh, Jeff Simpson. Jeff apparently, allegedly has a cold, mm-hmm, but we're not quite sure that uh, we are going to believe that because who knows what Jeff's really going through is it is he just is he just recovering from his birthday bonanza right he had that trip to the bounce house he was talking yeah. about I, maybe he, you know, maybe he got you, a little infection in the bounce house bounce house pizza and some soda maybe uh-huh. yeah get kind of sick mhm sounds like got a uh, rumbly tummy. chucky cheese to yeah. me <laughs> Got a rumbly tummy? Is that what he said? She's got a rumbly tummy. <laughs> She's got a rumble in the tummy. <laughs> Crazy. So anyway, we will. Uh, we miss Jeff, and if he happens to be listening, which I'm sure he's not. Yeah. I mean, if he has, if he was smart, he'd just be sleeping. Yeah. You have a day to well day off. I mean, you're sick. Hey, I I did a, a speech last night and mm. uh, had people come up that love the show. Alex really? listens to the show. He's been listening to it for four and a half years. Wow. Can't get enough. I haven't been listening that long. I know. What look what you missed out on. Right. Man alive. What he would have missed out on is today's topic. We will be speaking with a professor of psychology about why uh when a person loses their dog, it is like losing a member of the family. Right. We are so close to our dogs. Now it's interesting. Well, I've got to ask if it's the same research with cats. But um is it just the pet that matters or is it really just dogs that we're so connected to? But it's like losing a family member. Hmm. And yet we don't have any method to grieve. Like family members, you know, you get days off, you get all the stuff. But if it's your dog that dies, we're like, yeah, my dog died too. And society doesn't really – isn't really built to support you for the mm. loss of your animal. That's right. And, you know, what do you, what do, you do? You can't call in with a – your your dog died. Yeah, you, you I mean you could, but I don't think you can call like a, an ambulance or the yeah. morgue. Do they come pick up your dog? Maybe they do. I don't know. I bet somebody would. I don't want to know. Dogs. Well, well you see, like um, a dog is is hurt, or is there some sort of? Uh, 
I don't know. You, it goes out on you put you know something on Facebook, and there's just this outpouring yeah. of affection for this. But it's this it's animal. also. But then if you talk to it like a, and I have some in my family and and relatives that are used to like working a farm, they look at you like you're crazy. Right. It's a dog. Mm-hmm. But it's not a dog. No, it's like my son. It's a child. That's why my wife doesn't want a dog because it's going to die, and she doesn't want to have something else she loves die. Right. Right. Yeah, and, we, we, and she I, doesn't want him to chew up the furniture. Went through that as a kid. I yeah. had a dog. Was there for my from like junior high on, and then it got old, and yeah. my dad took it to the pound. See, is mine too. My yeah. mom took mine to the pound when I was on my honeymoon. I think she she hired a hitman, a hitman. I don't know. He just really. <laughs> he, I just got home from my honeymoon, and she told me she had to take him somewhere. It was it, tragic. It was hard. They they called my parents called and they let us all know. I think they took him to a veterinarian who, because yeah. the the girl the dog her name was Sandy by the oh, way she, she was uh, really having a hard time. There was some cancer going on. Oh, Hips yeah. weren't working right. It comes to the point where you're like, let's give her a, 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 a instead of you know, suffering to right. the end, you make a decision and right. you take that you put the dog down. But it's still really sad. No, it's tragic. That's a part of your your yep. family. All but your at childhood. the same time. Where do you is there a limit? Do you, do you say this is an animal, not a human? My emotions need to be here, not well, and there. Maybe and... more and more people are are use are like connecting to dogs like they're animal, like they're, I mean, like they're human. They're not just animals. They're their it's their baby, right? And maybe we need to take it more serious when somebody's mm. only friend dies. Maybe we need I don't know. Do we need laws? Do we need better understanding? Stuff. I mean, how many times has somebody said, "Oh, our dog got hit by a car," and you're like, "Oh, I'm sorry, that's." Yeah. But you don't think of it like, "Oh, my son got hit by a car." Right. You'd be like, "What can we do? How can we help?" Hmm. Oh yeah. Sorry. But, Bad news. Yeah. This well, this goes to the point where you know you dress up your dog. Yeah. <laughs> you do. Yeah. There's these real relationships yeah. going on. Oh, and... Don't you wish we could talk to these dogs? I mean, and actually know what they're saying. Right. Because then it'd be like, <laughs> "Why you put me in this?" Because I'm just yeah. a dog. Relax. <laughs> Like, seriously. I mean, I love you and everything. But even the dogs have been bred to, to be so attentive to to their owners that, mm. you know, that's why they're man's best friend, apparently. Apparently, a woman's best friend is a diamond. Seems so shallow. Well, that's what the commercials tell you. Yeah, the man's best friend diamonds. is their dog. Yeah. Yeah. Don't believe the commercials. Oh, yeah. Women love their dogs just as much as men do. Uh, so we'll be talking about that. Plus, we'll be doing some empty news uh, as we celebrate National Joe Day. If you know a Joe, go up to him, give him a big hug. And a Joe, by the way, could be any gender: Joette, Joey, Joseph, Josephine, Joanna, Joanne, Jody. Hey, Joe. Hey, Joe. Hey, Joe. And you just give him today. You give him love. We mm-hmm. give him special attention. Joe is a name that goes way back, and uh, we want to celebrate it. So that's today. Plus, we'll get into some headlines. A man that can lift 22 pounds of water Hmm. using nothing but his eyelids. Wow. Why, you ask? No idea. (laughs) How do you discover such a talent? (laughs) Mommy, look. (laughs) Look what I can do. Look what I can do with my eyelids. (laughs) Listen, Tommy, quit lifting with your eyelids. I told you you're going to pull something. Not good. We'll get to all that fun. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer criticized President Donald Trump after the GOP-backed health care bill failed to garner enough support for a vote on the House floor Friday, saying that the president showed two unhelpful traits during negotiations. 
basic lack of competence. You cannot run the presidency like you run a real estate deal. You can't tweet your way through it. You can't threaten and intimidate and say, I'll walk away. It's more complicated. The president campaigned as a populist against the Democratic and Republican establishments, but he's been captured by the hard right wealthy special interests. Schumer said the other failure of the GOP's health care bill was that it gave too much to the rich instead of Trump's working class base and predicted that any effort uh, for Trump's next agenda, agenda, agenda item on tax reform, if it does the same, will also fail. Wow. You're, you're based. The people who voted for you, you take them into consideration, yeah. you might be successful. A man sitting in the back of a public bus in the Las Vegas Strip opened fire for apparently no reason as passengers got off a, at a stop in the heart of the tourism corridor, police said Sunday. Gary Brettling, 57, of Sydney, Montana, was shot and killed Saturday before a gunman barricaded himself in the vehicle, shutting down the Strip for hours. The Clark County Coroner's Office said he died at the hospital. Rolando Carnadas, 55, had been accused of the shooting and is surrendered peacefully after a standoff inside the double-decker bus that lasted more than four hours. The police report yesterday was, again, no apparent reason. They're still investigating. Oh, boy. Uh, Application and acceptance season is underway at America's colleges and universities, but this year some institutions of higher learning may see a noticeable dip in attendance from one group purposely choosing to stay home, foreign students. Applications from international students from countries such as China, India, and in particular the Middle East are down this year at nearly 40% of schools that answered a recent survey by the American Association of of Collegiate Registrars and Administration Officers. Educators, recruiters, and school officials report that the perception of America has changed for international students, and it just doesn't seem to be as welcoming as a place anymore after the president's immigration orders. The number of foreign students topped $1 million for the first time in 2016. They generated some $32 billion in revenue, which wow. supports more than 400,000 jobs, according wow. to the Association of International Educators. Huh. There you have it. Now they're backing off because they don't feel like they're welcome here. Uh, Other news. Lois O'Brien and her husband Charles have had a sort of an Indiana Jones life, but instead of ancient artifacts, the O'Brien spent 60 years collecting insects across 70 countries and seven continents. Oh, wow. Those bugs, approximately 1.25 million of them now, fill more than 1,200 glass drawers in the O'Brien's home in Arizona. (laughs) So, yeah, bugs everywhere. Uh, but not for long. Charles and Lois are donating their collection, valued at $10 million, to the Arizona State University. Holy cow. Uh, bug people, I guess. That's the wrong way to say it. There's an yeah. actual like scientific term, but they're yeah. bug people. The O'Brien's bug represent one of the largest private collections in the world. More than double ASU's collection when received. ASU says Charles and Lois are two of the world's foremost entomologists, and the dean of the Division of Natural Sciences calls the donation a transformative gift. The collection, which includes more than one million types Types of weevil Ooh, will help boy. ASU fill the weevil family tree. We'll oh, fill it wow. out. They'll be able to yeah, finish now that. Yeah, you can finish the family tree. One ASU entomologist says the O'Brien's collection contains maybe 1,000 insects that are new to science. Really? They have stuff that people have never seen before. Lois 89, Charles 83 met at the University of Arizona in the 50s when he, uh, he was an entomology teaching assistant. She was a student. Mm. We were brought together by insects, they said. Lois said her their shared passion helped keep them together, and they've had a great life. We've traveled and experienced all kinds of exa- exciting things, things being bugs. It was love at first bite. 
like a, some might bite. I thought the in there would be more your relationship coach oh. sort of feel, you know. Yeah, but boy, aren't you? I bet her their kids are grateful. Like, whew, get these out of the house. That is a mess. Yeah, it looks like a very organized hoarder situation yeah. in their home because it's it's just drawers of you know the bugs with the the pins through yeah. them and they're displayed You've everywhere. Got and ten, it's worth ten million dollars. Yeah. I mean, well, depending on who wants to buy the bugs, yeah. Oh, but there's some people that would be like, "I'll take them." <laughs> I love bugs. How neat, though! And all of a sudden, about a thousand uh, t- different types of bugs that have never even been right seen. Not to mention all the weevil. Yeah, what do you do with all? I mean, <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I've been in a person's house that had a lot of weevils, mm. but I don't know they were collecting them. I think they were just had food storage. They had some food issues there with, with wheat. <laughs> they were. Trying to, you know, collect a two-year supply of wheat. Mm. Instead, they got a two-year supply of weevils. Well, you know, protein. Now, do weevils, is it weevils or weevils that wobble but they don't fall down? I think they're weevils. Right. Not weevils. Do we need to get to the bottom of that one? Yeah. Send uh, McKenna on that one. Okay. She's after it. (laughs) Hey, uh, I guess, you know, it could be weirder than an entomologist, you know, hoarding a bunch of bugs. Um, what about a man that can lift 22 pounds of water using nothing but his eyelids? Remember we talked about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She can, um, she can curl 70 pounds. Right. I mean, that's pretty bad to the bone. Or bench press, I guess. She's yeah, doing. she does a whole workout. Yeah, she's bad to the bone. Um, a man can lift 22 pounds of water using nothing but his eyelids. His name is Song Tao. He's 43 years old. He's been performing this very impressive, painful-looking stunt on stage for the last 26 years. The man from East China has given the act of the, uh, the literal name of eyelid bucket lifting. Okay. Which is different than bucket listing. Eyelid bucket listing is different. Right. That's where you just write the bucket list on your eyelids. This right. is where you have to actually lift well, a bucket. After he stretched out his eyelids, he could probably write the list. <laughs> so it could be both. Yeah. Go ahead. Amazingly, <laughs> he, he can lift uh, two containers of water weighing 11 pounds each hmm. using metal buttons on his eyes. The man can lift the 22 pounds of water with his eyelids. He said, I used to be a dancer, Song said. While performing, I met a teacher who passed on the bucket lifting skill. I slept with the buttons on my eyes for a half a year. Then I was able to perform on stage. Hmm. Song uses a homemade contraption, which is made of two buttons, some string, and two metal hooks. He squeezes the buttons under his eyelid on top of the eyeball. And attaches the other end of the string to the bucket handles. Hmm. So I think he probably apparently puts like a snap. It sounds like it's a snap. And somehow is it going through the eyelid? Apparently. Wow. Yeah. Because, I mean, how else are you hooking something to your eyelid so you can hold them? Yeah. And why doesn't it rip? And why do I just feel nauseous? Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) And why? Why? Song. Mm. Why? It's, It's a skill. Is it? Someone taught him the skill. Of snapping a button right. through his eyelid? And then he'll get some cosmetic surgery to fix the, the whatever problem that's causing that's his eyelids. That's the funny thing is in the United States, everyone would be like, oh, you've got to get those eyelids yeah. fixed. Your eyelids sag so much. I mean, does he like have to flip it up like it's his bangs? And Yeah, maybe. Maybe he just, I don't know. That is a very odd skill but maybe it's too it's maybe it's not so odd maybe he just found a strength so does he do tricks or does he just sort of walk out with them hanging from his eyes like my wife can jiggle her eyeballs which i think is pretty neat 
Right. Because, like, you know, at a party, you're like, hey, honey, do the eyeball jiggle yeah, thing. do that eyeball thing. But what happens when you're like, hey, song. Yeah. Can you, can you help me take this, you know, bag of concrete out? Sure. Let to me get the my, shed. Let me put the snaps on my eyeballs so Snap I can. Snap on. Yeah. I don't know. Crazy. That seems like it would be problematic. Yeah. It seems like it might cause neck issues. Yeah, but I, I think the snap thing's brilliant because you could use those for other things. Maybe okay. like when your eyelids are getting in the way, you could maybe put a little like a string around your head and hold okay. your eyelids back. Maybe you put another set of snaps. So you can flip them up yeah. and snap them up snap to your forehead. Up, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, kind of well. like, like Snoopy wears that little pilot's cap that he can, yeah. he can take his ears and flap them up and snap them. Or the covers on, on the tent. Mm-hmm. You have yeah. like tent windows. You have yeah. to flip them up. What are you going to do with those? Yeah. You'd think you'd do Velcro or something just because right. of the technology, but no. Go with the old snap. Yeah. It'll never right. let you down. If you're if you're planning on lifting um, anything with your eyelids this weekend, we suggest you don't. Just maybe seek out song. Get some advice before you start trying to lift heavy weights with your eyelids. Ah, song. Come on. Song's his name. Song Tao. 43 years old. Strongest eyelids in the West and the East. We'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, we're going to be talking about why losing a dog can be harder than losing a relative or a friend. Interesting insight from a a researcher that's been studying it. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. When someone we love deeply passes away, we have services and reflect on our memories of the deceased, while others, you know, offer sincere condolences. Your neighbors, your friends, family may gather around to support you through the through the difficult time. But in our, in our culture, the same courtesies are not often afforded when a pet passes away. Here to explain why losing a dog can be harder than losing a relative or a friend is psychologist Frank McAndrew. Frank is the Cornelia H. Dudley Professor of Psychology at Knox College and elected fellow of several professional organizations. Frank, thanks again for being on the show. Again, you the second time you've been on with us, and uh, we appreciate your time. Actually, the third time. Is it really? Yeah. Is it? Is it? Are, every time it seems like the topics get more and more like uh, interesting to me. Like this, this dog thing, it's real. People love their dogs. Do, is it true that it might be harder when a dog passes than even a family member? Yes, absolutely, it can be. Um, and now I've gotten a lot of angry I messages bet. from people who think I'm insulting um, the loss of a child and that I'm insensitive to their needs, but. Certainly, um, I've had lots of people confide to me over the years how hard it has been for them to get over their dog, uh. and then take that next step and say, you know, I lost a, a cousin, or a, you know, one of my friends died, and it wasn't that hard. And so, it's something that people experience. What What is it that makes the difference, and 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 why is it? I mean, I guess the dog uh, today's dog has become more than just you know something that goes hunting with us. It becomes our friend. It becomes a family member. Well, it's and it's an everyday part of your life. You build your schedule around the dog, right? I mean, you're, True. you walk it and feed it, and you build your vacations around what are we going to do with the dog. And when the dog is gone, you've lost a daily companion. You've lost one of the organizing principles of 
your life. Um, whereas for a lot of your relatives and friends who you see once in a great while, your life isn't built around them in quite the same way. So the sense of loss isn't quite as great, but you feel guilty about that because oh, yeah. it should be, right? Yeah. I mean, really, they are. I remember as a child, my dog was there every day after school for me. I was a latchkey kid. My mom had to work. My parents had divorced. and um, But I'd go home to my dog, and it was my best friend, my protector. It was there every day. So, I mean, I guess in a way, we we probably, if we talk about attachment disorders and, and attachment theory, we might even be more attached to our dog than a lot of other things. Well, and when you got home from school, your dog was always happy to see you, right? Absolutely. I, I don't know that you can say that about everybody else that you know, right? <laughs> so true. It's so true. Is it, it? Do you sense the dog has taken a different role in today's culture? I mean, I know you're an evolutionary psychologist, um, social psychologist, and I'm assuming that the dog has a different place in the home today than it did years ago, did it? Does it? Well, I think people have always been really attached to their dogs. I think um, what's probably happened, because people are more mobile now in societies like ours, you aren't as tied in to your relatives as we once were. And so uh, the dog has sort of stepped up to be that companion that goes with us everywhere. And, um, yeah. So true. It really is. Do you sense a difference in the research or in, in your studies about it? Is it different with a dog versus a cat? Or other animals. Well, I've got I've gotten a lot of hate mail. Yeah, this is where you're going to get beat up. Yeah, yeah, and I I've had cats, and you'd get attached to them, and you you miss them greatly when they're gone. I've heard from people who you know had a horse that died, and think yeah, I I've heard from just about every kind of animal ever there is. But the thing about dogs is that they are different from their ancestors in one very important way. They have evolved to be our friends. They uh, exist two push buttons in our brain that makes us be attached to them. Hmm. Uh, cats and horses and other domestic animals are not that different from their wild ancestors of long ago. And so um, our relationship with them is kind of more on their terms, whereas the dog is their program to please us, basically. Talk about that programming to please us, bred, you know, bred to please us. What, what do you mean by that? Well, um, Dogs, of course, are uh, descendants of wolves, and it's not just any old wolf that was captured and, you know, domesticated. Um, there there are, were some very interesting studies with uh, foxes. I'll, I'll digress a little bit here. Um, they were done in Russia, and basically what they did was just selectively breed foxes who were not afraid of humans. And uh, so they had this big fox farm where they were raising them for hmm. fur and so forth. And... Uh, Foxes that would snarl at people or run away from people were not bred, and they bred these foxes that would approach people and seem friendly. And over a relatively short number of generations, the, the appearance of the foxes changed. They got curlier tear, uh, tails and uh, floppier ears, and mm. they started to look more like puppies. And so um, breeding dogs that, or breeding wolves that were not afraid of humans to be more successful, they had to really endear themselves to humans. Yeah, yeah. And so we've created this animal that's a people pleaser. 
Isn't that interesting? And and really, um, I mean, I, I guess, too, the more popular brands or the more popular types of uh, animals, the more popular breeds are the ones that tend to get picked up more and probably rebred more. And those that are – I mean, we, we've heard of them now being used as comfort animals, as support animals. Um, I mean, really, I guess more and more – it's it is a, it's a it's a love story, really. Yeah, it really is. And um, and again, I'm not trying to diminish the bonds that people have with their cats or their horses, um, but I think dogs are in fact different. Do you do you get a sense um, because there is it's so socially almost seemingly incorrect to to ever say that that you you could love your dog as much as a child, as much as a family member, as much as a human, but really, I guess your research is showing it's there. It is, and um, you know, when people imply that there's something bad or wrong about that, they, they talk about it as if you can choose, you know, as if you're willfully saying, I am going to care more about my dog than I care about my relative or my neighbor or my friend. But you can't help that. I mean, your emotions are what they are. You feel uh, a certain sense of attachment or you don't, you feel a certain level of grief or you don't. It's not like you're willfully choosing the dog over something else. It's just something that happens to you. Right. Would you um, suggest, like, uh, we have a family member that really doesn't want a dog for that very reason. They they don't want a dog because they don't want to con- have to connect again at that level and have potential loss and... Um, is it is it healthy to to avoid it as well, or is that I mean, would it be better that we we just love? Well, I think uh, the answer might be different for different people. Um, I have a neighbor who lost his dog shortly before I lost mine, um, and the dogs were friends, and we would kind of walk them together every once in a while. And he was so devastated that he said he will never go through this again. Mm. He just it was so traumatic for him. And he did compare it to the loss of his son. He had a son who died, and he, you know, didn't say this was worse than that, but uh, it was right up there. And he was not going to put himself through it again. I felt devastated when my dog died, but this is not the first time that's happened to me. And I know um, over time you want another one. Yeah. And, you know, the, the good stuff has to outweigh the negative stuff. And if you're a person for whom that's not true, then you're not going to get another one, and you shouldn't. It's uh, it's an interesting thing in our city, our community. We we were, you know, everyone was wanting an, uh, the city to purchase land for a pool or the land for tennis courts, or and instead they purchased a, this land and they turned it into a dog park. Mm-hmm. And they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars making a dog park. And anybody that doesn't have a dog drives by thinking, ah, oh, geez, what a waste. But that park is packed. That place, it, and it's social, is so – one thing about dogs, it seems like, is that they may make us more social than maybe a cat that uh, likes – you know, that stays at home and that might keep us in the home. Is there is – there, because there's something you brought up about you and the, your friends that you'd go walk dogs together. Is there is there a, is there a healthy connection about having a dog and the impact it has on us socially? Well, sure. It, it uh, gets us out there, and it does invite people to interact with you. If you're a guy wanting to meet a girl, um, <laughs> one of the best things you can do is buy a dog. and just Dog or a baby, huh? That's, well, <laughs> the baby yeah. may throw it off. Yeah, that's right. Um, 
But sure, it's a, it's a segue into a human relationship. It gives you an interest in common. It gives you something to talk about. It's an icebreaker. Yeah. And for families that, uh, you know, and couples that don't have children, that don't necessarily plan on having children, it does become the baby. I've, and, and it does impact, like you mentioned in your article, there's a lot of planning that goes into this, what vacations we take, how long we go. All of it revolves around these dogs. Oh, sure. And when your dog gets old and sick, uh, I certainly have altered my travel plans when not taking a vacation. And I know lots of other people have done the same thing. And uh, so, yes, you you disrupt your life for your dog. Oh, boy. And um, I guess another thing about this is um, – is how we mourn. So that, I mean, there, there's the there's the falling in love with the animal side of this, but there's the other side of this about how we mourn this. Do, do we just overall underestimate the impact that the dog has? So when a dog passes, we don't seem to give the same respect, the same attention that maybe is warranted. Well, we do have this funny uh, sense of it. Even if you've owned a dog, when somebody else's dog dies. You know, that's, it's a dog. Yeah. It's not your dog. That's right. <laughs> and there's a big difference. And there is this, you know, you recognize that um, human life is different than animal life. And one should be valued more than the other. And so when you find yourself completely traumatized and sad and grief-stricken over the death of an animal, you feel a little embarrassed about that. I'm not saying you should, but you do. Because the world kind of communicates to you that this is not of a magnitude of losing a family member. Right. And there must be something wrong with you if you're that devastated by it. And so there is no safety net out there to help you through this and tell you, you know, it's okay. We understand it's a normal grieving process. You just sort of have to, you know, put on the stiff upper lip and carry on and not make too big of a deal out of it. Yeah, maybe this is this is why the article serves and is so helpful because you know, let's let's try to normalize. I mean, there is still pain here. It, it, people aren't just emotional freaks because they have fallen in love with something or someone. Um, let's take a break. We're speaking again with Frank McAndrew, uh, and he is a professor of psychology at Knox College. You can find out more about his work on his website, frankmcandrew.com. We'll continue this discussion when we come back. Why losing a dog can be harder than losing a relative or a friend, and what we can do to help those that are going through this difficult time of losing a dog. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about uh, why losing a dog can be harder than losing a relative or a friend. It all comes from an article um, written by our guest, Dr. Frank McAndrew, who is the Cornelia H. Dudley Professor of Psychology at Knox College. He is an evolutionary psycho- social psychologist whose research is guided by the simple desire to make sense of everyday life. And who better to, to help us uh, talk about your dog? Again, I think you made a great point. First of all, Frank, thanks for being with us again. Yep, happy to be here. But you make a great point. We fall in love with what we fall in love with. And if we fall in love with our dog, it it should be important to everyone around us. So if you think I'm important and my dog dies, then then you probably need to make my dog's death important too as well to me. It's about me. Well, that's right. And or at least acknowledge that I understand 
even though I don't feel the, the loss like you do, I understand what you're going through. And yeah. I think that's uh, people who haven't had that kind of relationship with an animal, uh, especially a dog, they don't understand it. Right. Know, it. It just seems like you're making a big deal out of nothing. Well, you, I mean, I have relatives that are, you know, big outdoorsmen and they go through a lot of dogs because that's just part of being in the farm. And they look at you like it's a dog. But, you know, you take that same guy's horse mm-hmm. that is his best friend forever uh, and the horse dies, you know, we could all say the same thing. It's just a horse. Yep. But these are affections. These are, this is love. Yeah. And it's not like you're, it, it chooses you. You don't choose it. Do you sense, are we becoming softer? Are we becoming um, so empathic that animals are taking this place in our lives? I mean, we hear more and more stories about people leaving their fortune to their animal or, um, you know, spending a lot of money to help their animal, you know, instead of just euthanizing it, getting it, all of these treatments. Is it is this is this elevating society in general? Do you see that as being positive for society? Well, I I don't know that it's positive or negative, and I don't think people really feel any differently about the pet than they ever did. But we do have an awful lot of disposable resources at our uh, fingertips that we, throughout our history, didn't have. And so having the money and the resources that you can lavish on a pet makes it look like we feel differently about them now than we ever did before. Yeah, so true. I think the feelings are probably the same. We just have more stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, old yeller. Come on. Yep, that's right. That's that's an old story. It, yep. it goes back. This isn't new. Um, interesting, though, talk about the misnaming study, because that does give us some insight into where the dogs fit into the hierarchy of our brain, I guess. Yeah, um, and then that actually was a study that supposedly had nothing to do with dogs. Yeah. It, it was a memory study designed to find out how people remember names and when they confuse names, what the thing is that makes you mistake one person for another. And in the process of doing the study on memory for names... They sort of accidentally discovered that when you're looking for the names of family members, the name of the family dog pops up. <laughs> and that didn't happen for the names of cats in the family. Yeah. And that signals something about where you store these things in your brain. So uh, when you start rummaging around in the trunk that says family, you find the dog in there. Hmm. Talk about... The difference between, I mean, is there research on the difference between the dog, the cat, and, I mean, some people get creeped out by the guy that has the boa constrictor around his neck, but I'm assuming it's the same love for the boa as you might have for a cat or a dog. You know, um, I don't know that anybody has really looked at that, and I don't deny that people will have strong affections for even a snake. But I don't think it's the two-way street that you get with the dog. Huh. Now, you, know, you, may be, you may be making people upset, Frank. I know that, and I've already gotten in <laughs> trouble for it. But So explain why. Is it just because the dogs are they're, they're more intuitive to us? They're more into us? Yeah, that's exactly right. They're giving Responsive. back in a way the boa constrictor's not. Um, I'm guessing the boa constrictor brain isn't lighting up with joy at seeing you. Uh, unless you're trying to feed it, but then it isn't really about you, right? It's right. about the meal. Whereas the dog gets rewarded just by being with you. Interesting. 
just touching the dog, uh, talking to the dog, the dog gets pleasure from your company in a way that I think most other animals don't. I think cats do, but um, again, cats have not changed as much as dogs to uh, be our friends over the years. Well, and, uh, yeah, because it seems like a dog's faces and their facial expressions are so responsive to us as well. But you're saying their brain lights up. They're getting an actual chemical high by you uh, val- or not validating it, but, but complimenting it, playing with it, giving it sure. attention. And giving it praise um, is rewarding for a dog uh, as much as food is. And giving praise to a cat doesn't have that same effect. Interesting. But boy, if the, if the cat could, if the dog could just learn to, to, you know, go in the doggy litter. Well, that would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, you can't dream, I guess. Um, <laughs> talk about uh, what we can do to help people mourn. I mean, maybe some of this is just basic human 101. How do we mourn with those that are mourning the loss of an animal? Well, I, I think one little thing that can be done is to just sort of let people know that this is normal and that it's okay. I was really surprised at the number of people who contacted me after I wrote this essay um, who thanked me because they thought they were the only one. Hmm. There, are, there apparently are a lot of people who go through this terribly emotional event and they don't think other people have that same reaction. And they found it very comforting just to know that they weren't, there wasn't something wrong with them, that this was a normal human thing to do. And I think just making that a little more um, well-known for people kind of takes the pressure off them. They feel like there's something wrong with them, yeah. that, they're, that they're so upset. And just releasing them from that, I think, is helpful. That's, yeah, just normalizing, which is, you know, kind of therapy 101. This is... This is normal love. This is life. This this happens. I had a uh, I had a friend whose baby died of SIDS, and um, at their at their viewing for their baby, um, a person came up and said these very words. Oh, you know, I we know just how you feel because we just lost our family dog of twenty years last yeah. week, and so so the comparison. <laughs> Was devastating. Like, oh yeah, a dog. Yeah, no, the, that's something. Even if you feel that, you that's you off. Ought to know that's not something you say. Not the same. But that's somebody saying, "I feel love and loss, and you feel love and loss." Um, I mean, I guess that's the thing is we we may not always know how to say it, but sometimes with when someone's grieving, it's not even what you say. It's just, I guess, showing that you care. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and I think the person who said that was probably well-intentioned. Yeah, they were. But, but there was a little uh, social cluelessness there, I think. <laughs> Isn't it? It's, but this is grieving. Do you, do you feel like overall we grieve well as Americans? Do we do this well? I don't think so. Um, we don't – well, we don't think about death. Or we, we try not to think we about it. We try to avoid it. Yeah, that's right. And um, – and it's healthy to not think about death because it gets in the way of life. If all you're doing is planning for the end of it all, it kind of sucks the motivation out of you, right? Yeah. But um, that means when it does happen, we're sort of unprepared for it. We've been in denial. We try not to think about it because it's unpleasant. So if you, uh, you said before, uh, people sometimes don't even want to get a dog because they know it's going to die someday. Well, yeah, you can't walk around for 12 or 14 years with your dog every day thinking, oh, he's going to die, he's going to yeah. die, yeah. because it, it undermines the joy that you get from the day-to-day life of the dog. So you kind of postpone what you know is going to happen. 
Um, Bill Cosby used to tell a, a funny story about he always wanted a dog when he was a kid, and um, the father would always say, well, we can't get a dog because it'll die and you'll feel really sad, and I don't want you to <laughs> go through that. And then uh, he replied, oh, no, no, we promise that you know, if the dog dies, we won't feel sad. And then the father responded, well, if you won't feel bad enough uh, to grieve when your dog is dead, you don't deserve to have a dog. So <laughs> no matter how he, he went at it, he wasn't going to get a dog. Yeah. Is it, um, I mean, I know, too, it seems like with with an aging senior population that it might be a good idea that people reach out more to animals and pets as a way to to just have a have a companion, have somebody buy them. I mean, it, does it really, it seems like it would help seniors not feel so lonely. Yeah, I mean, all, all the evidence that we have indicates that it's all positive, um, you know, the, that people... Um, enjoy the company of animals. They do have healthy side effects for people, especially if you don't have much of a human social network. Uh, they're increasingly being used in nursing homes as sort of, you know, just walk a couple of dogs through there and everybody perks up. Mm. Um, and it brings them together, too. It gives them something to talk about. They reminisce about dogs they had when they were younger. So uh, it isn't always just about the dog. The dog is just a vehicle for other kinds of social experiences. Yeah. This whole thing began, Frank, with you losing your dog. Um, has it, you know, have, have you thought about getting another one? Are you there yet? And where, you know, what have you learned overall about dogs? Well, uh, this is going to be my wife's decision. Um, I know we will get another dog. She was even more attached, I think, to the dog than I was and is still very much grieving. It's been about six months now. Mm. And um, we're not ready to get another one yet because it isn't that dog. You know, yeah, it would be yeah kinda, right. It would be unfair to the new dog. Um, the last time this happened, we went about two and a half years uh, before we went out and got another dog. And so I know that day will come, but um, she's in the driver's seat on this one. Yeah. I'm, I know we're going to do it, and whenever she's ready, that's when we'll do it. Oh, that's great. And again, I mean, sorry for your loss, and yet your loss has actually probably opened up a discussion that might create more healing for everyone else. Yeah, I think it's been, uh, in the long run, um, good in some ways, but of course, devastating in others. Oh, yeah. Frank T. McAndrews is his name. Go check out his website, uh, frankmcandrew.com. Frank, thanks again for being with us. We'll have you back on your next topic. Okay, thank you very much. You bet. Take care. FrankMcAndrew.com. Uh, great, uh, just a great writer and gets us thinking about some things that, you know, let's be careful about judging another person's, you know, source of affection, their dog, their cat, their boa constrictor. Everyone's different. Uh, powerful life. If you've ever had a dog, you know, they can be your best friend. We'll take a break, my friends. We'll come back, continue the discussion about some of the wacky, we call it empty news, the Matt Townsend News, stories from people around the globe. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Terry, do you have a dog? No. But you're going to get one. Your boy wants a dog. Oh, of course. He's always like, Dad, get a dog. No, I don't want a dog because who gets to take care of the dog? Dad. Your boy would. No, Dad takes care of the dog. Well, yeah, but you don't have to be a dog hog. You can share the dog. I was a kid. I promised I'd take care of the dog. Dad took care of the dog. I know how this works. (laughs) 
But will, when will the boy ever learn? I'd also have don't... to fix the fence in the backyard. Yeah. And then you'd have to go clean up after the dog because the kid wouldn't do it. You know what would be great is if you could get a dog that you could train to clean up after itself. Bingo. We had a lady the other day stop and just knock on our door and say, do you have a bag? My dog just used the, uh, you know, used the facilities on your neighbor's yard and we want to pick that up. And we're like, sure. And we gave him a bag and then they're like, can we put it in your garbage can? Wow. We're like, come on. <laughs> take care we don't home. even own a dog. <laughs> now you're making us take care of your dog? Come on. Hey, um, you know, dogs are great. Let's uh, let's go to another topic, though. Uh, you know, cops, bad boys. There's some pretty bad stuff going on. Um, Nashville, listen to this, a shooting spurred by the wrong pre- pizza toppings. People are so uptight. These are people that need a dog. Three teenagers are accused of firing gunshots from a car at a market in Nashville, Tennessee, hmm. because they were given a pizza with the wrong toppings. Well, I mean, they have an honest reason, right? Well, is it? I mean, who who has They messed up their pizza. I know, but who hasn't had that happen? Huh. The shots were fired at the market from a white Honda Accord that was, by the way, reported stolen. Accord's the most stolen vehicle. Yes. I'm about to buy another one. Nice. Good job. <laughs> Play right into their plan. Yes. Sure. Steal my car. <laughs> a North Precinct undercover detective was conducting surveillance in the area and witnessed the gunfire at 2 p.m., uh, police said the detective then followed the car to a house while uh, calling for backup. Three teens in the vehicle were taken into custody. During the interviews, one of the suspects allegedly stated the shots were directed at the market because the clerk had given them the pizza with the incorrect toppings. Nowhere in the story did it mention the toppings. So we don't know if it's something as as controversial, as polarizing as pineapple. Yeah. Or was it something as We've mundane as pepperoni? We've already done the study on the show that pineapple is absolutely accepted as a, a topping. It's worth it. Unless you're the president of Iceland. That's right. And then it should be outlawed if he had the power. Apparently is it worth five to ten years to go shoot over? Hey, they need to learn a lesson. <laughs> you know, you, you get the pizza toppings correct the first time. Yeah. Look, uh, I shouldn't have to teach you this lesson, but yeah. uh, if you're not going to get the toppings right, I'm going to have to shoot at you. <laughs> shoot your building up. That's crazy. Uh, man arrested after allegedly trying to pull over sheriff's deputy oh. using fake police lights. Not the best tactic. We've talked about this. If you're going to, in you know, in, in what's the word? If you're going to impersonate a police hmm. officer. Please make sure you're not pulling over a police officer. Ugh. It's always awkward. 21-year-old California man was arrested on suspicion of impersonating a police officer after he tried to pull over a sheriff's deputy last Tuesday. Authorities said Johnny Issa Sellers was arrested Tuesday night by the Riverside County Sheriff's Department about 12.30 p.m. To, uh, Tuesday, a sheriff's deputy was uh, driving a personally owned vehicle when the white Dodge Dart pulled up behind him. That's the first little yeah. know, signal to go off Dodge yeah. Dart. They don't drive Dodge Darts. They all drive <laughs> Dodge Chargers. Yeah. Well, unless you're – maybe you're just a rookie. Maybe you're like oh. new on the force. You get the pinto of the fleet. Give him the Give him the dart. Give him the dart. It's not charger material. <laughs> the dart had emergency lights and a siren activated, including two flashing lights in the upper windshield area. Huh. The deputy said an audible police-style siren was also used by the dart. 
The deputy did not pull over, instead contacted the Riverside County Sheriff's Dispatch Center. The Dart passed the deputy's car and drove on, but the deputy took a photo of the car and its license plate. After an investigation, the car was found with LED light strips in the upper windshield area Mm. of the public address and, and a public address system that was installed. There you go. The vehicle's registered owner was arrested on suspicion of misdemeanor impersonating a police officer. He didn't even pull over. Huh. He just knew. That's a dart. Yeah. No one drives a dart. Those aren't our lights. I'm just going to drive on. Huh. That's a gutsy cop. I probably would have pulled over. You could have compared badges. And then, Oh, you have one too? <laughs> yeah. And then when the guy was about to take my ID, click, I would have just put a handcuff on him. Busted. Dart. If you're going to impersonate a police officer, do you wear a mustache? Oh, yeah. Is that just prerequisite? Well, you need a badge or a mustache. Okay. Cole knows that. Cole used to wear those creepy mustaches here on Mustache November. Movember. Um, yeah, you, you wear that and you also tase people. You know, that's what I would have done. I would have tased this fake cop. Every cop has to be able to take a tase. Right. I've seen some uh, – my local police department, that's how they bring in the rookies. After oh, yeah. they finish their rookie training, that's how they, everyone gathers around and they all watch them get tased because they want all the police officers to feel what, yeah. what, it, what it's like to use the that's weapon. That's what they say, huh? But it's usually just a way to laugh at the new guy. Yeah, it's, it's hazing. loses their mind as it's they hazing. Hey, watch the new guy get electrocuted. Oh, boy. We ought to check on that. I wonder if Jeff hmm. – because it was the weekend, Jeff yeah. said he had a lot of stuff to do around the home. Right. We might want to check to make sure Jeff's alive because he's not great at home improvement stuff. He texted me last night. Okay. There was a little bit of a communication that happened, so I think we're okay. So he didn't electrocute himself again? No. Okay. He says he just wasn't feeling well. Okay. You might want to just look into that. Which, okay. Just I'm just saying, he almost burnt down his home. So it's either bad home improvement problem. Yeah. He electrocuted himself. Right, right, right. Nail gun issue, something of that nature, or... A bounce house related sickness. Yeah, infection picked up at the local bounce house. Maybe staff or something. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese has a whole new meaning. Uh, we'll take a break, my friends. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. This is the show where we give you a leg up on life. The latest, the greatest uh, research ideas to make it through life to help you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. That is the goal. Apparently, it didn't work so well with one of our co-hosts, Jeff yep. Simpson, out with a cold or something. And maybe possibly electrocuted Why doing some home. Why is it that when a co-worker claims they're sick, instantly everyone starts speculating yeah. that they're not? They're just taking a day off. We think it's because he had a birthday and he was trying to recover from prolonged birthday partying. Right. He did. He did, he got a hot tub last year, so I wonder if huh. maybe he's just overdid know. it in the hot tub. Maybe dehydrated. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, we don't know, but we'll find out tomorrow. I have a feeling he might be back. His voice is it's it's like his it's an instrument, mm-hmm. and he he. So if he starts losing his voice, it impacts him a lot. Yeah, I just let mine go. Whatever. 
doesn't matter. Today, uh, we've got a great uh, topic. We'll be talking about um, what you do when your, pro- your spouse isn't making you a high priority. How do you, you know, how do you get your spouse to reprioritize you? Or do you just somehow add more value so they naturally put you up there? Mm. Or do you, you know, you just, you can, you know, do the old carrot and stick, use the stick approach. Right. You know, if if they don't want to be with you because, you know, you're not a tempting carrot anymore, then you use the stick. Hmm. There's got to be a better way. Yeah. I don't know if that's the best. No. Kim Giles will join us, uh, walk us through that little problem. So if you if you struggle getting your partner to give you the attention you need, this may be the... Uh, this is the moment for you. We'll get to that fun. Plus, of course, some empty news stuff, you know, Matt Townsend news, headlines that you didn't even know you needed to know. Like a guy that went to McDonald's and just ended up ordering a slice of cheese. Hmm. You know, two all okay. patty, patty, special sauce, pickles, lettuce. You can have them take everything off until you just get to the cheese. Yeah. No bun, please. Yeah. Yeah. You end up just a slice of – is it cheese? Pardon? Is it cheese? Oh, of course it is. Are you sure? Well, what else could it be? Could be any number of things. <laughs> You're such a pessimist. No, it's cheese. Okay, just I'm just checking. I don't know. On two pieces of cheese on a, a beef patty. Mm, okay. And with special. Have they, stuff. have they fixed that? It used to be something else. No, it's all. Is it? It's not that pink meat we used to talk about. Okay, I I just yeah. trying to get answers to questions. Yeah. I can't believe it's not meat. <laughs> no, it's it's all there. So we'll talk about that fun coming up. Plus, of course, um, we'll visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Right. I want to hear their take on Gonzaga getting to the Final Four because Terry will dismiss this. But BYU beat – the Cougars beat Gonzaga. There's a saying. What? Yeah. Every dog has its day. Yeah. The clock is right twice a day. Or once a day. Even a blind squirrel. Blind squirrel. Fine. You know, those, those types of sayings come up every once in a while. Yeah. I think, I don't I'm know. not saying they apply, but you know. Well, you're kind of inferring. You could set you. them side by side and go, meh, I think there's something here. Okay. We'll get to that fun. Plus, of course, a hero story of the day to wrap up the show. All of that ahead, but let's first kick it off with some headlines. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? Representative Mark Meadows. From North Carolina, chair of the House Freedom Caucus, responded Sunday to President Trump's tweet attack on his group of legislators for their role in defeating the American Health Care Act, the insurance bill that was set to replace Obamacare. Meadows says the fight for health care is not over yet. And so as we look at this today, uh, this is not the end of the debate. You know, that this is like uh, I had one of my friends call me the other day. He says, it's like saying that Tom Brady lost at halftime. You know, we're, we're not we, we may be in overtime, but I can tell you at the at the very end of the day, the most valuable player will be President Trump on this because he will deliver. He's committed to the American people. So health care is not over. President Trump's going to be the MVP because it's not over yet, even though Trump said he's oh, done and he's moving on. Yeah. And then he made it the, the Tom Brady halftime. It's actually overtime, but we're going to – I'm not sure where that went. But but then you can tell he's really trying to schmooze yeah. the president. <laughs> Speaker, Piles, Speaker of the House Paul Ryan has experienced some uh, unnamed reports of lack of support. Privately, the president is believed to share the critique of the House Speaker, uh, but he's not made those 
you know, critiques yeah. public. Yeah, as he, of yet. yeah, he doesn't go public with those. Uh, one person was killed, 15 others injured when a gunman opened fire at a, night, at a nightclub in Cincinnati in an incident the police say was not terrorism related. Saturday night is a very young crowd. We have had incidents here in the past, but this is by far the worst, said the local police captain, adding that cops were already present at the, as, at the club as a security detail. Officers tried but failed to save the individual who died, the gunman, mm. still on the loose. Iran on Sunday sanctioned what is described as 15 American companies alleging they support terrorism, repression, and Israel's occupation of land Palestinians want for their future state, likely in retaliation for sanctions earlier announced by the U.S. The wide-ranging list of American real estate, uh, from a real estate, American real estate company to a major arms manufacturer appeared more symbolic than anything else as the firms weren't immediately known to be doing any business anywhere near the Islamic Republic. The uh, the company's names did not immediately respond to requests for comment Sunday. Companies on the list, they include ITT Corporation, right? Oh, That's boy. not the closed-down tech yeah. school, but it's oh. a, a manufacturing company. Missile Maker, Raytheon Company, and uh, a real estate near company near Denver. Wow. Wow. Um, Part of the sanctions say that the Iran can go ahead and pri- uh, nationalize any property these companies own. Oh, but boy. apparently the companies don't own any property in the country. <laughs> so, so they just named some companies, banned them, and then made a show of it. Oh, wow. Just kind of like what we did. Yeah, just kind of do that. Just retaliation. And finally, a northern Idaho woman took police, uh, told police she crashed into a deer because she was distracted by a Sasquatch in her rearview mirror. Come again? The 50-year-old woman was driving south on Highway 15, or 95 Wednesday when she struck a deer. The woman told county sheriff's officials that she saw a Sasquatch chasing a deer on the side of the road while driving. She says she checked one of her mirrors to get a second look at the Bigfoot, and when she looked up, the deer ran in front of her. Sheriff officials marked the incident as a vehicle versus deer collision, but they did not report any evidence of Bigfoot. Wow. What do you think? Bigfoot? Um, no. No Bigfoot? Actually, in scout camp, that we were attacked by Bigfoot. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Later, it just became, you know, it was just our scout leader. Right. He has big feet, though. But, but he did ruin my camping world. Scared you? Mm-hmm. Now you're constantly thinking of Bigfoot. Because yeah. we were sitting around a fire talking about Sasquatch. Mm. And then that night we went to bed and we heard noises. And it was bad. You going snipe hunts too? I was a, I, yeah. But weirdest thing, couldn't catch one. But the guys I was with, they kept seeing them. Yeah. But we just could never catch up to them. It was the weirdest night. It was, it was my, I was an 11-year-old scout. It was my first scouting, you know, experience. And I still hold it as one of the worst. Right. So I don't know that I believe in Sasquatch, but mm-hmm. I don't think she can blame Sasquatch for hitting a deer. Right. See, I saw an episode of The X-Files. Sasquatch is real. Oh, yeah? I'm pretty sure. Hmm. There's lots of forests. He must be getting really old. Well, they, they you know. It's a it's a matter of just natural it, selection. But there's probably not a family of these. Well, that's what they showed on the X Files. Oh, really? Their little kids and their whole family. And, yeah. Do they have a Do they have like a condo? Do they have a? No, no. They just kind of live in caves and trees and yeah, huh. yeah live off the land. Live off the land. They're like... the, they're the true Americans, right there. <laughs> like a good Sasquatch should. They just need a haircut. <clears throat> you just you just live off the the land. Hey, uh, what do you think is the longest that humans can live? And, um, and, and how long do you want to live, I, I guess, is a better question. I have an question. aunt, I think, is approaching 105. Really? Well, great aunt. 
According to a so, new study, 115 years. Really? That's yeah. the limit? Yeah. That's as high as it gets. That's as good as it gets. How do they know? Uh, they just ask really old people. Okay. <laughs> Is there an expiration date we don't know of? Uh, no. They're Sell researchers. By? They're doing research on the subject. Oh, okay. Like is, what, is that when, like, your organs just give out after so long? Yeah, at some point it just, you know, things just start coming apart. Um, there's, there's, there's a myth that you can only live so long, but apparently um, people believe there might be a way that we could, you know, lengthen the lifespan to at least everybody living to 100. Hmm. Why? But there's a possibility that we could get people to 150 years of age. Why? Technology, advancement. No, no, no. Why would you do that? Oh, because then you, you get to the, have the joys of your grandchildren. So you've yet to experience a grandchild, but a grandchild is easily 10 times better than a child. But there's like social implications. What do you mean? Like We're, taking care of these people? Like elder care becomes expensive. Like the whole concept yeah. of retirement starts at a certain point with the idea that the average person will die at this point. So you're just planning on this group of years for your quote unquote golden years. So, but if you extend that, you run out of money. So you're basically saying we ought to cull the herd well, and allow the olders to just die. But no, with public health increasing and eventually how? cures. What, well, what, what country do you live Donald in? Trump is going to invest a lot of money. Into cures. Like? Well, he's actually going to get rid of some money with the National yeah, that's Institute what he, of Health. He, he said in the State of the Union he was going to help cure, like, all disease, and then he cut money for the National you know, Institute of yeah. Health, which helps the, cure disease. They so. also think that biomedicine is going to help. So okay. now all of a sudden you're going to – about half of the credit for these new advancements are going to go to medical treatments, statins, aspirins heart surgeries, things that will elongate your life. Okay. Maybe we um, would get rid of some red meat. Eh. All of that's going to help. Eventually, they'll bring down strokes and cancer. Mm -hmm. I mean, eventually, we won't have people smoking, you know, tobacco, cigarettes. Now we'll just be burning. We'll be smoking other stuff. Okay. <laughs> Does this, this, this doesn't sound interesting to you. No, I mean it. I, we'll control air pollution. Right. I think there's other factors we'll fix the involved. water in the, certain places. Really? Yeah. That doesn't seem to be – well, okay. are they talking like in the next 100 years? Sure. Okay. But, I mean, you're, think about it. Your boy. Yeah. He's what, five? Yeah. Yeah. He's going to have a brighter future? He'll probably live to 150, hmm. which means he'll have stories about you forever. No, he'll forget. He'll, who's that grumpy guy? Who's that? He always told me to go to my room. Yeah. <laughs> They'll, but they'll, yeah, they'll know that hitting with a lightsaber, yeah. even if it's foam, right, still leaves it's, it's the mark. Char character building. So yeah, you sound like you're cynical about this. I don't know. It just seems like the the system as it's set right now isn't built for people to live long after, say, eighty, ninety years old. Really? Yeah. Now you can get a few that get there, but if you get a mass amount well, of the population in the moving, that's what I mean. Yeah. I mean, Social Security isn't going to last, and if you keep drawing on it even further past when you were expected to not to stop, yeah, it's going to cause problems that way. Um, okay. Even though it's going to go away anyways. Well, what about this? Yeah. Um, do you want to know what state you should live in if you want to be less likely to have a divorce? Ooh, okay. I mean, does that matter to you? Because certain states have higher divorce rates than other states. You don't care, do you? No, I mean, what what state has the lowest amount of divorce? What do you think? I don't know. What what factors would lead to divorce? 
So um, you you would think one like maybe good weather would mean maybe a, a positive feeling in your relationship, but yeah. it would also lead to all kinds of other options that could uh, lead to you know choices that way. If it's a boring place, maybe you stay focused on your relationship, or you get distracted because you're bored. Yeah, divorce rates highest in highest in the country, Nevada. Okay, because a lot of people rush there and they yeah. get one of those quickie those quickie weddings, weddings. the well, drive through. So is that number just? Is that off because of the yeah, get probably. divorces after uh-huh. the drive through chapel? Okay. Right. What's number two? That would probably be your, your true leader. Arkansas. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Why? What do you have against Arkansas? <laughs> Nothing. I'm just like, wow, okay, that's interesting. I'm not sure why that would be. Wyoming's up there. Yeah, well. You've been to Wyoming, right? Yeah. And? Not a lot there. Okay. <laughs> so, so once you're married, it's just the two of you. Yeah. So if, if it is like also Wyoming has a lot of energy resource, uh, so they they have a lot of people up there, you know, producing oil until the oil runs dry or regulations shuts down the deal, and then and that happens every a lot of economic every turmoil. several years things change. So, so yeah. Oklahoma, of, Idaho, wow. Kentucky, mm. Alabama, Mississippi, West Virginia, so Delaware, all right, sort of all over then. It's all over the Alaska's yeah. up there. Well, yeah, it's cold up there. Well, then more men to women. Yeah, well, that too creates an incredible competition. Right. So there's no true like reason as to why they're leading in divorce. No. Like they can't point to any social factors. Right. There's a lack of vitamin C in the population or anything like that. Well, because those correlations come up too. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's it's okay. and divorce. By the way, people don't believe this, but divorce rates are going down. And, and uh, interestingly, marriage rates are also going down. Fewer people are getting married. So is that the reason? Probably fewer divorces because there's fewer marriages. People are slowing down how quickly they're willing to get married. Hmm. You know, it used to be you'd get married. You know, you get married younger. Now we're getting married older. Right. And now some are saying we don't even need to get married anymore. Let's just let's just live together. That's a has been social construct. We don't need to do that anymore. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But we're going to be talking about marriage. So what do you do? When you're not a high priority to your spouse, you don't just go get divorced. You don't do that. You find out what they love the most and then you participate in that. Yeah. Which has always concerned me why my wife doesn't like to play video games more. Well, it shouldn't. As a professional, your wife, you, you have no idea how lucky you are to have a wife. But shouldn't she embrace my interests no. To be able to help understand could, where I come from. and I mean, she listened to like – it was honestly a 30-minute discussion, really one-sided yeah, though. About, it's not really a about discussion. What? About Justice League? About the Justice League movie trailer and what I learned by watching it. Nerd alert! Yeah. That right there is dedication to a relationship. That right there is one woman that is <laughs> a saint. That is on the verge of probably just her feigned interest was amazing. She was like, "Oh, really?" And then she would ask like questions. Yeah. She's trying like, so. Where hard. do the mother boxes come from? Mm-hmm. And I go, "Well, the mother." Bo-. And then I'd go off. Oh boy! Because I know all this stuff. I have so poor, much to share. Poor woman. Each character in that movie has their own character arc. They yeah. each have they each have issues with their parents. Go figure. Yeah. Yeah, so they, they, they delve into that and they, they kind of look at those character-building moments that develop them into the, the superhero fighting team that saves the planet from an alien invasion. Huh. Hmm, it's amazing. It's a great movie. You'll find a lot of interest in Tell it. Tell her right? to call me. I'll help her. She was trying to get in last week. Yeah. Just, she's like, I've got to get in because Justice League's coming out. And 
He's going to go crazy. I have to decompress before he makes it worse. Wow. She has to put up with that. See, folks, and you thought you had it hard in your marriage. Come on. Stick with us. Uh, give us a give us a minute. We'll come back. We're talking with Kim Giles. How to get your spouse to make you a priority? Interesting stuff up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us is Kim Giles. Kim is the uh, founder and uh, head coach, let's call it, of uh, ClarityPointCoaching.com. She is also a popular life coach, author, and speaker. Today she's talking to us about what what happens when you're no longer, you don't seem to be the high priority for your spouse. And the tendency is you get mad, you start complaining, you start nagging, which what you're saying is that just is going to foster more fear, more insecurity in your partner. And they're going to dig deeper into doing what they're doing that feeds them anyway. Well, and I kind of think there's this perfect storm in most most marriages where we trigger each other's core fear. Yeah. So like I was explaining, my husband's core fear is really abandonment and rejection. Right. But if he tells me you're not spending enough time with me, it triggers my core fear of failure and that makes me want to pull back away from him because it feels safer right. to run, yeah. which triggers more fear of abandonment. Boom, boom, boom. And that makes him more kind of needy. Yeah. And then the more I feel that, the more I want to pull away and just vicious cycle around. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it really is, is it's everybody's rea- – and the reactivity kind of speeds up. So we become more quickly part of the system without thinking about it. The system becomes less visual and more just – Reactive. So honestly, one of the things most couples really need to do is sit down and look at the real causes of stress and unhappiness in their life and get together as a team to beat those for each of you, but as a we, not an I. So we're on the same team and we've got these issues in life that cause stress and fear in me. So for the woman, that might be dealing with the kids and the house and, you know, I've got all these issues that are my focus all the time because they're the source of fear and stress for me. So I need you to be on my team to have the two of us figure out how to fight that battle. Yeah. And then let's look at what his are. Well, you know, his are feeling rejected and and not needed. So how can we as a team fight against the issue and not against each other? That's huge. Well, I mean, because imagine that all of a sudden you – if you could just understand their core fear – and have 50 things to do to help it? You have a handbook. Problem solved. To your spouse, And vice really. versa. I mean, it's – I guess the hard part is the communicating almost seems like it needs to happen and it's hard to happen because the pattern itself interferes with the ability to hear. Right. So I always tell all my – the most important thing you could do to improve your marriage is to work on your own self-esteem issues. Yeah. And and it's sad. Most of us have actually made our spouse responsible for our self-esteem. Yep. So because I've put that on you, I'm waiting for you to fix it. Right. You've got to make me feel good about myself. <laughs> and get and on it, folks. If you do that, you gotta you gotta take that ownership back 
you are the one responsible for how you feel about yourself. Yeah. You got to own it. No one can feel that bucket for you. Right. So we we got to do some work there. And, you know, we talk a lot about ways to do that on our Clarity Point material. We, we really believe the biggest way to get rid of your fear of failure, that you're not good enough, the low self-esteem, is to stop seeing your value as changeable at all. Right. Yeah. Somehow get over that. This idea that it's mercurial, that it's going to be up and down. It's permanent. It's permanent. Your and all human set. beings have the same value. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean we're perfect. Yeah. We're going to make mistakes, but see those mistakes as interesting lessons, not as something that takes away from your value. And the more you work on that yourself, you, you take that ownership away from your spouse. You stop making them responsible. Mm-hmm. You fill your own bucket. And now you've got something to give them. Yeah, it's almost like we've commoditized ourselves though. Like we are this we're this brand. We always talk about our brand and but the problem with using market economy and economics and all of these things to describe your paradigm is you your value does go up and down. Brands values go up and down. So you need something that transcends a traditional brand approach. Well, really, it's what the world has been teaching right. all of us. I mean, you're only the as world, good as what you do. You're only as good as what you right? produce, but or how you look. That's right. What people think of you. So I guess so. It's, so you have to transcend it, and it seems like religion's been trying to transcend it with some other purpose. Mm-hmm. So, how do you get this idea that your value is just it's not changeable? How do you get that stuck in your head? Well, okay, there's a couple tricks that we do. The first yeah. one is is you've got to consciously decide if you're going to see your life as a test or a classroom. So if it's a test, your value is in question, there will be a grade. Yeah. And any mistake you make counts against that. Right. But if you choose to see life as a classroom, then any mistake you can just erase and try again yeah. and erase and try again and your value is not in question. Classrooms are just constantly – I mean you're just there to learn. You're there, So you're just an empty vessel that we want to fill up. But um, what was the other one? If it's not a classroom, it's a – Test. Test. And yeah, test, there's a grade. Yeah. And, and it's highly likely that you're going to fail. And, and the sad thing is most of us at the subconscious level – have been raised maybe by parents or religion that mm-hmm. kind of led us to believe that it's a test. Yeah. And our value is in question and we have to prove a sense of value through our appearance and performance. Yeah. And dance monkey dance. You know what? That's not a fact. <laughs> right. It's a belief. Yeah. That you picked up somewhere along the line and if it's a belief you can change it. And it really may not even jive with your value system. So I mean if you just really thought through the belief and read, went and read your own scripture, you might realize that's not, it's not part of the scripture. Not accurate. I don't know, Matt. I kind of think in every religion, you still have both options on oh, the yeah. table. Yeah. And I think it kind of has to be that way because we don't have agency yeah. unless we have two choices. Yeah, you got to have a choice. So yep. I get people all the time that say, my scripture says it's test. Right. Yeah, but your scripture also says it's a classroom. Yeah. And that... You know, you can repent and erase and try again as many times as you need. And your God will just keep loving you back. He'll keep loving so you back. which is it? Mm, well, you, you get to choose. But if you don't consciously choose, you will subconsciously choose. Right. And you'll end up always in fear that you're not going to be good enough. Well, and in a weird way, you probably then use this paradigm that's ineffective to your advantage. Then you're like, yeah, I, mean, I like to see it as a test. 
because well, then, then I've always judge. yeah, and and I don't have to. I can always be a failure because I'm just never good at testing. Then I can play the under, and but none of that serves you. None no. of it is who you are, and it's it's going to set you up with a mindset that doesn't create healthy relationships either, right? The self-pity card and I'm never good enough. You can have that story. It's just not going to serve you. you won't be very happy. Right. Um, So they can go to your website and find out more about the book and the material. And is that, can they get access to the the 12 personality types? Yes. There's a link on our website to learn about the the 12 psychological inclinations. Inclinations, yeah. Start to figure out which one you are. And is there a way to be both? Is there a way to be two or three inclinations? No. Nope. Can you be that messed up? One. Yeah. And nobody's messed up. No, we're all, it sounds like we're all jacked up. <laughs> we're all perfectly crazy in our own unique yeah. way. So yeah, I got to understand you're crazy and you get to understand cool, mine and we're perfect. Yeah. Well, and it gives you, it, then it gives you language and a mutual understanding to start hacking away at this, making it better. Absolutely. Ah, oh, Kimberly. You did it again. Clarity Point Coaching's the website. Go check it out. ClarityPointCoaching.com. And uh, you can find all, all of her resources, all of her tools. Go spend some time there. Uh, really a great gift. Um, good stuff. Kim, thanks. Thanks, Matt. We'll take a break. Come back. Visit our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation. Find out uh, what they think about this the crazy, are you kidding, Gonzaga in the final four. The Cougars beat them. What does this all mean? Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us is Kim Giles. Kim is the uh, founder and uh, head coach, let's call it, of uh, ClarityPointCoaching.com. She is also a popular life coach, author, and speaker. Today she's talking to us about what what happens when you're no longer, you don't seem to be the high priority for your spouse. And the tendency is you get mad, you start complaining, you start nagging, which what you're saying is that just is going to foster more fear, more insecurity in your partner. And they're going to dig deeper into doing what they're doing that feeds them anyway. Well, and I kind of think there's this perfect storm in most most marriages where we trigger each other's core fear. Yeah. So like I was explaining, my husband's core fear is really abandonment and rejection. Right. But if he tells me you're not spending enough time with me, it triggers my core fear of failure and that makes me want to pull back away from him because it feels safer right. to run, yeah. which triggers more fear of abandonment. Boom, boom, boom. And that makes him more kind of needy. Yeah. And then the more I feel that, the more I want to pull away and just vicious cycle around. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it really is, is it's everybody's rea- – and the reactivity kind of speeds up. So we become more quickly part of the system without thinking about it. The system becomes less visual and more just – Reactive. So honestly, one of the things most couples really need to do is sit down and look at the real causes of stress and unhappiness in their life and get together as a team to beat those for each of you, but as a we, not an I. So we're on the same team and we've got these issues in life that cause stress and fear in me. So for the woman that might be dealing with the kids and the house and, you know, I've got all these issues that are my 
focus all the time because they're the source of fear and stress for me. So I need you to be on my team to help have the two of us figure out how to fight that battle. Yeah. And then let's look at what his are. Well, you know, his are feeling rejected and, and not needed. So how can we as a team fight against the issue and not against each other? That's huge. Well, I mean, because imagine that all of a sudden you if you could just understand their core fear and have 50 things to do to help it. You have a handbook. Problem solved. To your spouse, And vice really. versa. I mean, it's – I guess the hard part is the communicating almost seems like it needs to happen and it's hard to happen because the pattern itself interferes with the ability to hear. Right. So I always tell all my – the most important thing you could do to improve your marriage is to work on your own self-esteem issues. Yeah. And and it's sad. Most of us have actually made our spouse responsible for our self-esteem. Yep. So because I've put that on you, I'm waiting for you to fix it. Right. You've got to make me feel good about myself. And <laughs> get and on it, folks. If you do that, you gotta you gotta take that ownership back. You are the one responsible for how you feel about yourself. Yeah. You gotta own it. No one can fill that bucket for you. Right. So we we got to do some work there and. You know, we talk a lot about ways to do that on our Clarity Point material. We we really believe the biggest way to get rid of your fear of failure, that you're not good enough, the low self-esteem, is to stop seeing your value as changeable at all. Right, yeah. Somehow get over that, this idea that it's mercurial, that it's going to be up and down. It's permanent. It's permanent. Your and all human set. beings have the same value. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean we're perfect. Yeah. We're going to make mistakes, but see those mistakes as interesting lessons, not as something that takes away from your value. And the more you work on that yourself, you you take that ownership away from your spouse. You stop making them responsible. Mm -hmm. You fill your own bucket, and now you've got something to give them. Yeah. It's almost like we've commoditized ourselves, though. Like we are this – we're this brand. We always talk about our brand and – but the problem with using market economy and economics and all of these things to describe your paradigm is you your value does go up and down. Brands' values go up and down. So you need something that transcends a traditional brand approach. Well, really, it's what the world has been teaching right. all of us. I mean, You're only the as world, good as what you do. You're only as good as what you right? produce. But or how you look. That's right. What people think of you. So I guess so. It's, so you have to transcend it, and it seems like religion's been trying to transcend it with some other purpose. Mm -hmm. So, how do you get this idea that your value is just—it's not changeable? How do you get that stuck in your head? Well, okay. There's a couple tricks that we do. The first yeah. one is—is is you've got to consciously decide if you're going to see your life as a test or a classroom. So if it's a test, your value is in question, there will be a grade, yeah. and any mistake you make counts against that. Right. But if you choose to see life as a classroom, then any mistake you can just erase and try again yeah. and erase and try again, and your value is not in question. Classrooms are just constantly – I mean, you're just there to learn. You're there, So you're just an empty vessel that we want to fill up. But um, what was the other one? If it's not a classroom, it's a – Test. Test. And yeah, test – there's a grade. Yeah. And and it's highly likely that you're going to fail. And and the sad thing is most of us at the subconscious level have been raised maybe by parents or religion that mm -hmm. kind of led us to believe that it's a test. Yeah. 
and our value isn't questioned, and we have to prove a sense of value through our appearance and performance. Yeah. And dance, monkey, dance. You know what? That's not a fact. <laughs> right. It's a belief. Yeah. That you picked up somewhere along the line. And if it's a belief, you can change it. And it really may not even jive with your value system. So, I mean, if you just really thought through the belief and read, went and read your own scripture, you might realize that's not. Not part of the scripture accurate. I don't know, Matt. I kind of think in every religion, you still have both options on oh, the yeah. table. Yeah. And I think it kind of has to be that way because we don't have agency yeah. unless we have two choices. Yeah, you got to have a choice. So yeah. I get people all the time that say, my scripture says it's test. Right. Yeah, but your scripture also says it's a classroom. Yeah. And that, you know, you can repent and erase and try again as many times as you need. And your God will just keep loving you back. He'll keep loving so you back. which is it? Mm, well, you, you get to choose. But if you don't consciously choose, you will subconsciously choose. Right. And you'll end up always in fear that you're not going to be good enough. Well, and in a weird way, you probably then use this paradigm that's ineffective to your advantage. Then you're like, yeah, I, mean, I like to see it as a test. Because well, then, then I've always judge. yeah, and and I don't have to. I can always be a failure because I'm just never good at testing. Then I can play the under, and but none of that serves you. None no. of it is who you are. And it's it's going to set you up with a mindset that doesn't create healthy relationships. Yeah, absolutely, either, right? The self pity card, and I'm yeah. never good enough. You can have that story. It's just not going to serve you. Won't be very happy, right? Um, so they can go to your website and find out more about the book and the material. And is that can they get access to the the 12 personality types? Yes. There's a link on our website to learn about the, the 12 psychological inclinations. Inclinations, yeah. Start to figure out which one you are. And, and is spouse, there a way to be both? Children. Is there a way to be two or three inclinations? No. Nope. Can you be that messed up? One. Yeah. And nobody's messed up. No, we're all, it sounds like we're all jacked up. <laughs> we're all perfectly crazy in our own unique yeah. way. So yeah, I got to understand you're crazy and you get to understand cool, mine. And we're perfect. Yeah. Well, and it gives you – then it gives you language and a mutual understanding to start hacking away at this, making it better. Absolutely. Ah, oh, Kimberly. You did it again. Clarity Point Coaching's the website. Go check it out. ClarityPointCoaching.com. And uh, you can find all, all of her resources, all of her tools. Go spend some time there. Uh, really a great gift. Um, good stuff. Kim, thanks. Thanks, Matt. We'll take a break. Come back. Visit our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation. Find out uh, what they think about this the crazy, are you kidding, Gonzaga in the final four. The Cougars beat them. What does this all mean? Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the program. Dr. Matt here. Hey, it's time to shoot it down to our good buddies at uh, BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Hello, gentlemen. Are you there, my friends? We're here. Can you hear us? I can hear you now. Okay. How how you doing? You know, enjoying moral victories. Okay, we got to talk. Okay. So, uh, Gonzaga in the final four. No, 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 no. Let's talk about this. No, 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 no. Gonzaga. I know. I I always say Gonzaga. Come on, I, I, you're in the West. Gonzaga. I'm saying Oregon. Gonzaga. Zaga. Gon. Zaga. Like, like gone. Yes. Zaga. Zaga. They're, Perfect. They're, the, they're the Zags. So just remember, it's they're, they're, not, the they're not the Zogs. They're the Zags. Zags. 
Gonzaga. Got Perfect. It. Okay. Hey, um, Perfect. now is this a moral victory or is it just a sign of ugh? We to could me, have done it so is much a moral more. Victory. Hit it's it. Talk about it. Why? The basketball. Season. They're in the final four. More than ever, I felt the moral victory when I was watching Gonzaga play in the second round uh, in Salt Lake City at uh, Vivint Smart Home Arena. And I was in line behind a Gonzaga fan at halftime of their game with Northwestern. And he turned around. I had a BYU swag on. Hmm. He turned around and said, there's only one school that scares me every year. (laughs) Really? (laughs) And it's BYU. And I was like, you know, it." that is unbelievable coming from a fan of the number one seed in the West region who is now in the final four. Like they can't say anything to us. We done beat them. Three years in a row in their place. Yeah. They can say we won the conference championship that's true. And every that's what I, year. That's what I said to him. Yeah. I'm like, you won, you won the conference. You're a number one seed. He's like, I know. He cares we, about a single game. <laughs> it's not, you know it's not I mean? in the single. But he's, yeah. like, he's like, it'd no. be one thing if it were one time, but you've BYU's won there three it's, years in a row, and it's just weird. It's hilarious because it did, they went to the Final Four. It, did, like, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> but it's really funny you know, because it's this moral victory from l- – listen, you – 20 years from now, when we look back at this season, we're going to remember one single thing. It's that BYU beat number one Gonzaga. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And what if, boy, what if they so go great. all the way? It's great to at least have that. Yeah. Because if you don't have that, it's tough. It's tough after that. Eric Mika, heck of a year. And then it's like, <laughs> because the expectations were really high. Do you think Gonzaga can beat South Carolina? Yes. They should. Absolutely. They're, they're, Seventh the seed? first line I saw was six and a half point fave. They should win that game. Oh. But who knows, right? Listen, if Gonzaga loses to South Carolina, they'll still talk about this season forever as the greatest year in Gonzaga. They've never gone to the final They've four. They've never until gone to the now. final four. Okay. Holy Just like cow. we don't talk about the bummer of Jimmer Fredad and company losing to Florida in the Sweet 16. We talk yeah. about how BYU got there. What makes what makes Gonzaga so good? Mark Few, the <laughs> Just, head coach. That's it. He brings in amazing talent. His coaching staff and ability are amazing. L- listen, Spokane is not the hotbed of hoops. Right. But it actually is. You know what I mean? They yeah. get great transfers. They get great talent there. The coaching is amazing. They dominate the league. What they do is fantastic. Mark Few is one of the top five best coaches in the game. Do you think he'll stay there? Yes, forever. Why wouldn't He's you? He's the king. He's you... the king of kings in Spokane. Well, right. And you, when you get to the big dance, who knows what's going to happen. But if you don't win, you're Gonzaga, for heaven's sake. You shouldn't have won. Well, they've, they've turned in uh, quite the performance. I mean, like the Sweet 16 is the minimum now for that program. Mm, they're, it's amazing. They're in pretty rarefied air. Do, do you guys think that the Northwest and uh, the Carolinas, do you think it's unfair that everything's coming out of these two areas? Come on. Uh, no, spread given, the joy. Well, Civil War history was rough on those <laughs> guys, true. so I, I they, think they've cool. given their dues. They've yeah. paid their dues. Yeah. Hey, um, and what what do you uh, think about uh, North Carolina, uh, North Carolina, Oregon? Hey, I think that's an interesting game. I wish Oregon was fully loaded with uh, one of their stars, Chris uh, Boucher. Boucher, yeah. Boucher. But the fact that they got to the Final Four with Adam says something. And knocked off Kansas in Kansas City. The Holy one cow! Seed. It's amazing. It's cool for the Northwest. It's it's good for college basketball to have two teams from the West in the Final Four. Right. There's an LDS kid on North Carolina's uh, team, by the way, named Stillman White. He went on a mission. He had a good game before his mission. People kind of knew his name, and then he came in off the bench, got a couple buckets, I think, <laughs> in the game. So. so cool. Yeah. People All are right. Like, Why are you in BYU? <laughs> That's good. I gotta well, ch- I gotta check my facts on this, Matt. But I think the last team west in the West 
uh, in terms, in terms of like, like 08. Yeah. To get to the final. Oh four. my heavens! It's to been get that to the final long. Four, to win the national championship, I believe was '98 Arizona. Arizona. Holy cow! Yeah. So the West yeah. is not often represented. They have two from the great Northwest. That's Good. great. It's beautiful. Good. Beautiful. Okay, so what's on your show today? What are you going to be? You only got a you got forty seconds. Before oh, we got to get you. Next, I have a whole hour. I know. But yeah. <laughs> what, what do you want us to know that will we'll just keep us riveted? The, lost in all of this moral victory business that we've been discussing. Yeah, that's not going to lead the conversation. An actual, well, kind of football game in Lavelle Edwards yes. Stadium. The spring football scrimmage took place on Saturday, cold, rainy, but it was still football in Lavelle Edwards Stadium for the first time ever. It was on BYU TV. Mm, that was With good. People watching yeah. all over the world, Kandahar. Cairo, Egypt. Awesome. North Pole, Alaska. That's a real place. That's the city. There is a North Pole, huh? Okay. Yes. And they're all watching it. And it was, it was. what did we learn? Anything interesting? Uh, we'll tell you coming up. Okay. That is what we are going to discuss. Uh, what hey, did sneaky. we learn? That was sneaky. You guys, I tried to get it out of you, but you're so professional. Mm, I wouldn't say that. But okay, yeah, let's not go that far. Uh, so that's going to be good. Okay, that, that shows in just four and a half minutes, guys. Go yes. get ready. Go get, yes. go get your makeup on. Ready to go. Get waxed. Okay, guys, thanks for the time and uh, knock them dead. BYU Radio. Talk <laughs> four, about good. Four and a half minutes, folks. It, all you need to know BYU Sports Nation with Spencer and Jerem. Up next. Uh, now, as you know, we always like to um, end the show with a, a couple of stories. One story, again, just humanity again, just doing what they can. And uh, this, this is a guy that went to McDonald's, ended up just ordering a slice of cheese. Sometimes you want a hamburger, you know, you want it your way. Even at McDonald's, for example, you can add or take away things, many of your extras that you don't want on the hamburger. But uh, a U.K. man, Billy Merchant, visited those Golden Arches a couple of days ago, decided to strip his lunch down to the very basics. He ordered a cheeseburger and got rid of all of the frills that included no onions, sauces, pickles, meat patty, no bun. In other words, he ordered a single slice of plasticky American cheese. That's all he wanted was the cheese. But it still cost him a buck twenty-five. Can you believe that? One dollar twenty-five cents, and he went for it. By the way, so did they. They served him, of course we'll give you some cheese. That'll be a dollar twenty-five. Do you want ketchup on your cheese? Nope. Just take it straight. These people. I mean, do you have nothing else going on that you have to get to you gotta wait get people to wait in line so you can just be served a piece of cheese? And then do they wrap the cheese up for you? They got it, right? They can't just hand it to you on a spatula. So uh, just know, folks, if you want to, you can go get some of that yummy American cheese for just a buck, buck 25. Hey, um, as we wrap up the show, too, you know, we always like to end with a hero story. And today's hero is a four-year-old boy in the U.K. as well. He saved his mother, uh, his mother's life after she collapsed. The Metropolitan Police has confirmed by unlocking his mother's iPhone and asking Siri to contact emergency services. Four-year-old boy knew how to do all that. Released on Thursday, the call recording for the incident on March 7th consists of a police call hand, uh, um, uh, speak, uh, hander speaking um, to Roman, a young boy who called after his mother lost consciousness, believing his mother to have died, explaining to the handler that she had closed her eyes and she's not breathing. Roman then recited his address so the emergency services could arrive. While the children in the U.K. are told to call 999, the local emergency services number from the very young age, um, the Metropolitan Police note that Roman used a different method to get assistance. He unlocked his mom's phone using a touch ID, pressing his mother's thumb to the sensor. Then he asked Siri for help. 
resulting in the emergency call. Due to Roman's swift actions, officers arrived at the address, forced into the house, and found Roman and his brothers near their unconscious mother. Paramedics took the woman to the hospital after helping her regain consciousness, and uh, everything turned out okay. It's an amazing story, and thanks to his quick thinking and asking Siri for help, saved his mom's life. That's it, folks. Make sure you're teaching your kids how to access your phone just in case you go down. Um, but he is a hero. And really, to be a hero, you don't you don't have to always do huge things. Sometimes you just got to do what you can do, right? And that's why we give you this show, to give you as many solutions, tools, and information as, as we can so that you can live a healthier, happier life. 